smell what the rock is cooking. Wait a minute. The people screwed the people. These fans are stunned. And you can also, you can also believe that each and every one of you are just as pathetic and gullible as mankind. Whoa. I'll be happy to elaborate a great deal more tomorrow night. However, one other thing, and that is I would like to publicly state on behalf of the McMahon family that we are so proud here tonight for a number of reasons. One of them is because tonight Stone Cold was utterly, totally, royally screwed in this very ring. And if there's one man, if there's one man who has any more contempt for Stone Cold other than myself and all of you, it has to be the man who absolutely loathes and detests each and every one of you, and that is The Rock. The Rock! Fans don't want to believe it. I congratulate you, Rock, and Shane. Shane, Academy Award performance. Thank you. And I told the world, I told the world that, Dad, I'm just like you after all. Aren't I, Dad? <laughs> Mankind's very Woo! confused. Poor son of a gun. All right, Rock. Rock, it's all yours. Vince, just like last Sunday on Heat, when The Rock said he'd rather be the people's ass than to ever kiss yours. Well, tonight, it's time for each and every single piece of Trailer Park trash to kiss The Rock's if you smell what The Rock is cooking. Poor Mick Foley. I'm not sure I understand. The Rock is a great wrestler. But, Dad, to lose this match, I either had to be pinned and submit, and The Rock didn't either. I'm not really sure I understand what the hell is going on around here. Well, Mick, you don't get it, right? Well, get this, okay? Oh, from behind! Get this, and now look at The Rock stomping away at mankind after the war. The Rock and the McMahon family, Shane and Vince, in collusion, and here comes, yeah, the rock bottom, and the poor, sad, son of a gun, Mick Foley. 
gentlemen, the McMahon family is proud to present your new World Wrestling Federation Champion, the corporate champion, I give you The Rock! You smell what The Rock is cooking. Yeah, and it stinks. Hello, my name is Chris White and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast where we're going back in the time machine to November of 1998 to bring you your WWF coverage. Our coverage of the WWF and Survivor Series 1998 makes up volume one for November. WCW and World War Three is volume number two and ECW rounds off the month with November to remember. Joining me for volume one, we have firstly Eric Landstrom. Eric, how are you doing? Chris, happy to be here. Very good, very good. And we also have Dan Welling. Dan? How good, you ev- good evening, sirs. I've used that in a while. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're good. We're good. The first Raw of the month opened with Shane McMahon announcing that Steve Austin would get a title shot on Raw the night after Survivor Series. Vince demoted Shane to being a referee before revealing that Austin's first round opponent in the tournament would be Big Boss Man. X-Pac and the New Age Outlaws faced Gangrel, Edge and Christian, which ended with Kane attack the Brood. We were set for Hawk vs Droz, but with Hawk in no state to compete, Animal stopped the match from happening and left with Droz. Michael Cole then caught up with Mankind in our snow backstage, who accused each other of taking their respective inanimate objects too seriously. They then teamed together to lose to Golga and Kurgan when Golgan pinned Snow. We had a Raw in-ring debut of the man's man, Stephen Regal, as he took on Gold Dust. The lights went out and Kane chokeslammed both men for the no contest. Vince offered Mankind a favour in exchange for a gift and presented him with the WWF Hardcore title belt in exchange for not interfering in the next match. Mankind accepted and thanked his dad for the gift. The Rock faced Ken Shamrock in a match we'll talk about in more detail on the main show. Vince declared that he had a problem with Rocky because he had a problem with the people. Shamrock was DQ'd after a chair shot. Val Venus defeated Jeff Jarrett before we saw Vince telling police to arrest The Rock. The Headbangers vs D'Lo and Mark Henry ended in a no contest after another Kane interference. We saw the cops arresting Rock backstage despite him offering donuts to let him go. Owen Hart came out for a promo confronting Dan Seven. Seven said that Owen isn't fooling anyone with his blue blazer outfit. Owen attacked Dan and Steve Blackman made the save. Seven was stretched out into an ambulance and Blackman attacked Owen backstage. Then someone in a blue blazer outfit ran in to help Owen. Vince had the big boss man attack Briscoe Patterson and Sarge for banding on him when Austin held him hostage. Austin climbed into the cage and attacked Bossman. Patterson hit Austin with a, the nightstick and Shane ran in, so Vince called Bossman off. The Undertaker came out and brawled with Austin before Kane came out, helping Austin to beat on Taker to close the show. Right, first things first, into the news for the month. So I'm going to throw out a few headlines. And uh, Eric, if you wouldn't mind leading us through, uh, fl- uh, leading us through our topics. So first up, we have the new WWF champion is The Rock. The 26-year-old capped off a tremendous year by winning the Deadly Game Tournament at this year's Survivor Series by beating Mankind in the finals. He then followed up by defending the belt in three consecutive Raw episodes against Steve Austin in a predictably massive ratings winner and X-Pac and Al Snow. The Survivor Series show itself suffered from an in-ring standpoint but has drawn praise for the overall booking of the tournament and for two massive heel turns. 
First, Shane McMahon aligned himself with his, his estranged father by screwing Austin in the semifinal with Mankind. And The Rock himself, who after feuding with Vince in the two weeks leading up to Survivor Series, joined the McMahons as their new corporate champion. Along with wrestlers Ken Shamrock and the Big Boss Man, we now have a new top heel faction in The Corporation. Austin versus McMahon turning into life imitating art. Yeah, working yourself into a shoot, brother. Uh, Steve Austin and Mr. McMahon are, are reportedly at loggerheads over the direction of the character and the handling of Austin's media appearances and earnings. Austin feels some of the recent creative decisions are making him look weak and may explain the ending of Survivor Series and other instances earlier in the month of him taking on the returning big boss man head on. He is also unhappy of the, new, of the WWF turning down uh, his opportunity to join the cast of the new John Cloud Van Damme movie, Universal Soldier 2, and not allowing him to grace the cover of New York Magazine. From Vince's perspective, he is looking to safeguard the future of his main event by accelerating the pushes of some of his younger talent. Since Austin may be forced onto the sidelines again because of his neck injury, or if he decides to move in, uh, into movies off the back of his mainstream success, Vince doesn't want all his eggs tied up in the bald-headed basket. There we go. At best, these can be just future credible uh, opponents for Austin down the line. But it is also rumored Vince wants more of his own creations at the top of the card after the rise of the self-made Stone Cold gimmick and, to a lesser extent, Mick Foley. Wrestling is really, really mainstream. There has never been more mainstream media attention being paid to wrestling than now, even in the Hulkamania rock and wrestling connection. These include wrestling specials and documentaries, major newspaper articles, and prestigious mag magazine features all running in-depth stories on the 96 to 98 wrestling boom. Part of this is obviously down to Austin's incredible mainstream popularity. Despite his grievances, he will be presenting at the Billboard Music Awards next month, is due to feature in, four, in a four to five page spread in People Magazine, and will have features in Rolling Stone and Forbes on the way to name a few. And more good news for the WWF, they have consistently thrashed WCW in the ratings ever since the Goldberg, Goldberg DDP replay, easy for me to say, with the Austin Rock title match drawing a 7.3 unbelievable for someone who started watching in the new generation era. And uh, also we have the return of HBK. Yeah, Shawn Michaels is back uh, on screen becoming the new WWF commissioner on the 22nd November episode of Raw. But he quickly aligned himself with the new corporation faction on the same night after hitting DX member X-Pac in the head with a chair shot during his WWF title match with The Rock. Always been a front runner, that HBK. There were initial rumors Michaels wanted to enter the Deadly Game tournament as the mystery opponent for Mankind. You could audibly hear chants for the heartbreak kid the night before Mr. McMahon's announced the, the mystery opponent as perennial jobber, Dwayne Gill. Clearly, his back injury is still preventing him returning to the ring. But he could be back for WrestleMania, they say again. Uh, also, jumping across slightly to uh, some WCW, which I hope we don't tread on too many toes for Volume 2, but we may have some WCW talent heading for the WWF. Well, and consider this a warning to Rory over there on the WCW show, but uh, we're here for the for the whole thing here. Yeah, Vince McMahon is finally starting to look and bringing in new talent from WCW in reversal of fortunes from the last three years. Names like The Giant, Scott Steiner, and Eddie Guerrero all have contracts ending in the next few weeks, and Vince is keen to sign the first two in particular. 
the Giant is almost a lock to come to the Fed, and all that's left to agree on is his downside guarantee. Uh, we also have Jesse, the Governor Ventura. Oh, boy. Former wrestler and color commentator Jesse Ventura shocked the country this month by being elected governor of Minnesota. Yes, that's right. Uh, Ventura had gradually been throwing support over the course of the month, uh, growing support over the course of the month, I mean to say, but he was still seen as a spoiler to the big Republican and Democratic candidates. Impressing voters with his unpolished but knowledgeable and honest debating tactics, Ventura finished with 37% of the vote. Yes, that was enough to win. Uh, he said, this proves there are no such thing as a wasted vote. In fact, we wasted them, the other candidates, with the wasted votes. Such a heel, Jesse. This has led to the WWF announcing SummerSlam 99 will be held in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Yep, the first pay-per-view to be held in the state. Thank you uh, very much, Eric, for taking us through the news there. Uh, Dan, if I come to you, obviously uh, we're going to talk in great detail about uh, the month the Rock has had in particular. So maybe aside from that, although feel free to touch uh, on it if, you, if you'd like to. But what jumps out to you is a particularly big deal from our new segment there. Uh, the main thing for me is that Austin is slowly turning to the dark side, apparently, and is, is joining his colleagues in WCW as, as potentially try, starting to take his position a little bit too seriously. Um, I hope it's not going to get to the point where he starts sabotaging, um, you know, pushes for people like, um, you know, The Rock and, and the younger guys like Shamrock, for example. But by all accounts, it sounds like him and The Rock kind of get on well backstage, um, don't know whether this has changed since he obviously has become WWF champion. But look, I think we all know the problems that WCW have at the top of their card with the egos they've got to manage. Austin is only one guy, obviously, but you know, trying to handle anything like that is a struggle for any promoter and a booker. So I'm just hoping that as the fame doesn't go to his head, if that makes sense. I know he's playing the tough, you know, redneck character, and it's kind of hard to disconnect that from the actual Steve Austin man. But, you know, he's making tons of money. He's getting mainstream attention. Of course, he's going to have a bit of an ego to him. So that's hopefully not let that happen in the actual that effect, sorry, the, the in-ring product and the in-ring storytelling that is really working for the minute for the Feds in the main event scene. Eric, anything to add on uh, the Austin McMahon real life relationship sort of seemingly breaking down gradually? We heard more about this last month, but it seems like it's just ongoing and getting worse. Gosh, this really sounds is tracking exactly like how the Vince and Hogan relationship kind of went after Hogan peaked in like 85, 86, 87. And then it just feels like when you go back and, you know, read, read the dirt sheets and, you know, hear and see what's been written and said about. Vince and Hogan's relationship. It just seems like this is how Vince and his stars end up coming to a head, right? Uh, the stars get too big for wrestling, and then it just becomes a matter of, well, is it Vince McMahon's World Wrestling Federation, Hulk Hogan's World Wrestling Federation, Steve Austin's World Wrestling Federation, and obviously Vince isn't going to let that control go or that perception be changed. It'll be interesting to see because there is obviously a push for new stars, but Austin is, I mean, probably more than Hogan, a bigger percentage uh, of you know the merch and the the money and the drawing just because of how massive the gates are now so boy it's interesting hopefully hopefully by the end of the day they both just look at their bank accounts and think well we better get along uh with each other just for the sake of um the millions of dollars we're generating and it would it would be a real shame to cut off this this uh 
momentum they have over over some bitterness like this. So, you know, we'll wait and see. Uh, but I think the Fed needs the Fed still needs Austin. Let's let's not be mistaken. So before we get to our coverage of Survivor Series, we have a few things to discuss from the first couple of rules of the month, uh, mainly concerning The Rock, who had a very busy month coming off the back of that five-minute loss to Mark Henry at October's pay-per-view, which in hindsight looks even stranger now. Um, so I'll jump in with some uh, background from the first rule of the month, but we'll lead straight into talking about something from the second rule of the month. Rocky was scheduled to face Ken Shamrock for the Intercontinental title, but before the match, Vince came out and said that he now has a problem with the people's champion because of the problem he has with the people. Vince says that unless the Rock won the title, he would be out of the Deadly Game Survivor Series tournament. So late in the match that night, uh, when Shamrock defended his Intercontinental title against The Rock, Shamrock tried to take advantage when the ref went down with a chair, but The Rock ducked. The chair rebounded off the top rope and into Shamrock's own head. Rocky followed with a people's elbow, but the ref was still down and couldn't count the pin, and Shamrock eventually hit Rock with a chair in the view of the referee for the DQ. Vince announced that because Rock hadn't won the title, like he stated, he was out of the tournament at the Survivor Series. Um, as part of this, I'll barrel straight into the second rule, like I said, for the continuation of this rivalry between The Rock and Vince. Um, the Rock was placed into a match with Mark Henry and told that he'd be fired if he didn't win. To make matters worse, he'd been attacked backstage earlier in the night by an unknown assailant. We had uh, Vince and his cronies. They were uh, at ringside at, for this match. And late in the match, Bossman tried to get involved, handcuffing Rock in the corner. But he somehow ended up handcuffing himself which I don't know how you do that. Uh, the Rock hit a DDT on Henry, but the ref was dragged out before he could make the count. Uh, eventually, though, uh, Rock picked up the win after a people's elbow. A Shane McMahon ran down and made the count. Uh, this meant the, Rob sa uh, that the Rock had saved his job, and it was actually revealed on Heat, as it wasn't mentioned on Raw at all, but this, this win meant he had earned his way back into the tournament at Survivor Series. So, Eric, we had a tumultuous start to the month for Rock headed into the pay-per-view. Um, without the benefit of hindsight, which I know is very difficult, what did you make of this sort of two-week, out-of-nowhere spark rivalry between The Rock and Vince McMahon? Uh, put that magic in a blender, press the mix button, and pour it back out, and try to do what you did with Austin, right? So, uh, especially if they're at, at odds with each other, if Austin's hurt, try to raise, you know, get another superstar off the ground. Uh, and it, it was working, I guess, and the rock is super over with that elbow. And just as he's connected since he turned face, um, but it was, it was really strange and it felt kind of rushed. And like you say, without hindsight, um, it's tough to chart a path as to where they were going. Cause it was, he was in, he was out. They didn't announce that he was back in. It was weird. Um, and then it ultimately made sense, but this was definitely a situation where they were, I think they had an end game in mind, but maybe they hadn't, properly charted the path working backwards far enough so maybe they were just throwing a bunch of things at the wall to see what might stick uh with the storytelling it was a little bit muddled it got us to the finish line i guess but it didn't play off as con as coherently as you would like um to tell a to tell the story they were trying to tell so it's fine but a little bit muddled like everything else right now yeah, very much a chaotic first couple of weeks. Dan, what did you make of uh, The Rock's first few weeks of November? I'm actually going to be a politician here and duck this question and talk about it at the end of the pay-per-view because right. I, think it's, I think it's impossible to talk about this segment without, without 
hindsight. But what I what I'd gleaned from this really was this isn't wasn't about Vince and the Rock. This was about Vince and the people, and really getting the people um, to to really you know hate Vince even more than he has been already. Because it's always been about Vince and Austin the feud so far this year, um, and because Austin's so beloved, obviously the, the fans are going to hate Vince. But I don't. Th- I might be wrong here, but I don't think he's ever directed his anger towards the fans. And having The Rock as the people's champ was his gateway into actually making the people hate him even more so somehow than they have done so already this year. Um, so I think this, these, these two weeks were just even more building blocks to what was going to happen at the end of the pay-per-view. Um, but again, I'll talk about more about it kind of when we get to the end of the show. Yeah, of course, the whole two weeks worth of storylines kind of blown completely out of the water by the time you get to the third war of the month uh, with the angle at the end of the Survivor Series pay-per-view. So it is quite the impossible question, really, to delve yeah. into. Well, uh, and they, you know, they, they, they even played a video documenting the, the grand conspiracy because it was so confusing. It wasn't point A, point B, point C, and then here's your heel turn. They had to, I mean, they... They literally played a, a step-by-step narrated video of, of the whole grand conspiracy. So I think they kind of realized, hey, this isn't very easy to follow along with. The Rock does play a good baby face, though. He really does. That, yeah. that was what I was going to get to next. Like I, I know you alluded to it, Eric. Like They're just trying the same thing they tried with Austin, basically. Putting stack, like Vince is stacking the cards against The Rock, and, and he's got to fight his way out of it. But it, it really worked. Um, and I think... The Rock is an excellent babyface, but it's also a credit to uh, that Vince McMahon character. How I feel like the majority of wrestlers, and, and granted, you could probably give The Rock a lot of stuff that other people couldn't pull off because he's very charismatic. But I think you could put a lot of people in the anti-Vince position, and because of the hatred of of Vince, the crowd's going to cheer for them, and that that speaks volumes about the, the effectiveness of Vince McMahon as a heel to me oh yeah absolutely it's the proper way to, to manipulate negative heat and, and turn it into positive heat for for another guy so with that i think we'll move straight into our review of survivor series 1998 um by the end of the show i mean it's it's not we, we covered it in the news it, it, i'm not spoiling anything here but the first two weeks of raw really um they kind of made once you've seen the pay per view, they're slightly made redundant by how much change at the pay per view that it's hard to delve too much into what had happened before it because it was it was almost like at the pay per view there was a big reset button and the whole landscape changed. The second Raw of the month opened with X-Pac versus The Undertaker, which quickly ended when Kane interfered and threw a fireball at Taker who used X-Pac as a human shield, taking the brunt of the fire. Vince asked Mankind if he'd be interested in defending his new title on the show before JR hyped that Jesse Ventura had been elected the governor of Minnesota. Val Venus versus Steve Blackman ended in DQ when Terry Lowblowed Val, Owen and the Blue Blazer hit the ring and attacked Blackman. We saw Mankind getting a makeover backstage. He hoped Vince would get him some new teeth as Austin had thrown his into the crowd and said that Vince always takes care of his champions. 
Shane McMahon refereed a triple threat match between Mosh, D'Lo and Road Dog with Mosh picking up the win. Jeff Jarrett faced Goldust in a horrible match that ended when Double J got him DQ'd with a guitar shot. Mankind took on Ken Shamrock wearing a tuxedo. They brought around ringside and onto the announce table. Mankind tried a pile driver on a chair, but Shamrock backdropped him onto it instead. Big Boss Man interfered and KO'd Shamrock with a nightstick, and Mankind fell backwards onto him for the pin. We were told The Rock had been attacked backstage by an unknown assailant. Stone Cold came out for a promo. He said that Vince was hiding from him and any plan he had at the pay-per-view would backfire. Bossman came out and said that the plan was him and he promised to take care of business at Survivor Series. Vince told Michael Cole that The Rock would be unemployed if he didn't pin or submit Mark Henry in the main event tonight. Tiger Ali Singh defeated Al Snow after Deborah distracted Snow. Edge vs Kane ended by DQ when the brood attacked, but Kane chokeslammed all of them into a pile along with the referee. Kane covered them all in gasoline and tried to set them alight with a blowtorch, but referees ran in to make the save just in time. And in a match we'll talk about more on the main show, The Rock defeated Mark Henry to keep his job with Shane McMahon counting the pin. So we'll kick things off. Um, Dan, if I'll come to you, would you kindly run us through the results of the show? Of all 14 bloody matches, yay, thank you. <laughs> uh, Mankind defeated Dwayne Gill, Al Snow defeated Jeff Jarrett, Steve Austin defeated the Big Boss Man, and Stephen Regal and the X-Pac ended it in a double countout. Ken Shamrock defeated Goldust, and The Rock defeated the Big Boss Man in the first round of the Deadly Game Tournament. The Undertaker defeated Kane, Mankind defeated Al Snow, the Rock defeated Ken Shamrock, and Austin got a bye because of a double countout in the quarterfinals of the Deadly Game Tournament. Sable defeated Jacqueline to become the new WWF Women's Champion. Mankind defeated Stone Cold Steve Austin, and The Rock defeated The Undertaker in the semi-finals of the Deadly Game Tournament. The New Age Outlaws defeated D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry and the Headbangers to retain the WWF Tag Team Championships. And in our main event, The Rock defeated Mankind by submission, in a in the tournament final defeat to become the new WWF champion. Eric, I'll come to you first. What did you make of this show? Yeah, I, I love this show. And um, <laughs> if you if you work in a couple of factors, that tournaments are incredibly hard to pull off in three or even four hours. Um, and that WWF has never really been about the in-ring product. It's always been about storytelling and and drama more than the in-ring stuff. Uh, this is this is one of the you know perfect encapsulations of what the WWF tries to be and when everything comes together in a, in a night. It wasn't a flawless show, obviously. We're going to talk a lot about a, bad, a lot of bad stuff. But overall, this was just an incredibly enjoyable, enjoyable show to watch. Uh, highest regards, absolutely. Dan, uh, are you as positive on this show as Eric is? This was an absolutely terrible wrestling show. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know how to rate this show at all because I'm a work rate guy. I love me some cruise rate wrestling, and there's literally Ooh. one or two good matches on this show. So, 14. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, it is a slog to watch all the way from start to finish. And as Eric said, th- these are this is a storyline show, this is a booking angle driven show. So I think it's one of those shows that you would go back and watch and really love it, like a, like a film that you don't really get when you first watch it, but then go back and watch it and go, oh, yeah, we've seen all these little details that you missed, and it all makes perfect sense. But that doesn't still doesn't mean it's, it's good watching it for the first time start to finish. 
So I honestly haven't got a clue how I'm going to rate this show yet. Um, so I, I, all I know right now is it was a terrible in-ring wrestling show. So don't watch this if you are into your matches. But if you love storytelling and, and you, you, you want a masterclass in how to book a pay-per-view and, and weave multiple narratives through a show, through a tournament and pay it off in the end, then this is the go-to pay-per-view. This oh, is wait, the, oh, absolutely. Yeah. This is, this... So, I, I'm, I'm, I'm entirely on the same page as you here because you watch this for the first time and you get crap finish, bad match, boring <laughs> match. Crap finish, bad match, boring match in a cycle over and over again. There are some really positive matches, some, a couple of good matches um, spliced in there. But, like, the finishes are bad. There's so many inconsistencies within them, like when people get DQ'd and counted out and when they don't and things like that. Like, things that normally annoy me. And then by the end of the show, I just don't really give a shit about any of them. And I'm just like, okay, it was, <laughs> it was all worth it? Like, I don't know. Like... It's, it's a really confusing show to watch as a fan because it is a masterclass in booking, but also a masterclass in how not to book an in-ring pay-per-view. I don't really, I don't know. It's, it was great. Like I would, if, if you're a WWF fan, you're going to like this show, I think, because like that's, this is what they do. Like this is them paying off stories in the best way. But, if you just want to watch some really good wrestling, then steer well clear of this. But... <laughs> so we are live from St. Louis, St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, we kick off the show with Vince promising a Survivor Series we will never forget. I think he kept his promise there. Uh, before we had Mankind, he came out with his hardcore title, which Vince adorned him with earlier in the month, and he was wearing a suit. Uh, Vince delivered this excellent speech hyping up mankind's mystery opponent he really went all out to make it feel like a huge announcement it was going to be a big deal and uh, as we pre previously heard he revealed the opponent to be Dwayne gill so our opening match of the deadly game tournament uh we had mankind taking on Dwayne gill uh mankind brought gill into the ring by flipping him over the top rope he followed with some kicks to the head and a double arm ddt cradling gill for the win after around 30 seconds so not too much to break down here uh but what did you make of the start of the show dan i'll come to you first the vince's promo the, the surprise the match all of it can you believe that some people actually thought sure michaels was going to be in this match <laughs> Like, of course it isn't. Like, even even if you discount his massive back injury, of course Vince, who before the show we are led to believe wants mankind to win the whole thing, is going to give him the best wrestler that they've had in the nineties, other than Bret Hart. You know, it, it just made, made made me laugh just think about it. But look, it, it it was you know a decent way of starting the show. But again, using tried and tested logic, you want a really good opening match to get the crowd hot and to set the tone for the pay-per-view and instead we get a 30 second squash match so i'm not again this this show just doesn't follow any rules of convention of how to lay out wrestling shows so starting as they mean to go on i guess and i mean if you're if just the opening angle and match is going to set the tone for the pay-per-view then they did well to deliver a big old swerve because that set the tone for this i suppose uh eric what did you make of it all Oh, yeah, I think if you're watching this show and this is the first angle and you go back and think about what the show was, I think this perfectly set the tone for the show. You had heel McMahon out there manipulating the crowd. You had a 
you know, wet fart, but in a good way of a Vince McMahon, you know, <laughs> surprise got you. You had Mick Foley out there just being probably the best overall character in wrestling right now. And then you had a match that was inconsequential and didn't go one second longer than it needed to to accomplish its goals. And that was kind of, that's the purpose of tournament matches. And that was the purpose of this match. And especially with a guy like Foley who's working on injuries and he's 300 pounds, you don't want him going, you know, long matches. So this was a really clever way, I think, to get Foley out and through the first round and, and give him a nice long blow before the second round when he was going to go, you know, 10 minutes with Austin. So um, I think this this was an excellent segment. And by itself, Vince McMahon was hilarious. And the whole packaging of Dwayne Gill was better than anything WCW has done with any of its superstars. Just fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it's so Can we get Michael Buffer to read out uh, Dwayne Gill's introductions? That'd be, that'd be interesting, Mr. Rhea. The only thing that would have made this better is if he had had Howard Finkel do the introduction. The, the best line of the introduction was something like a man with who developed a remarkable win-loss record. Yeah. It's like the perfect line because he did have quite the remarkable win-loss record, but not for that reason. Like it was so good. Vin, Vince is just perfect at, at, at all of this. Like, And the angle itself is... is there's so many things on this show that like if you showed me this in isolation absolutely no context to it i'd be like this is boring like i, I don't know why i meant to care but you put it on this show and how everything pays off and it's just sensational like it's so good that ev you could make a list of like 10 things that are actively bad but then by the end of the show they make perfect sense in a big swerve so they're no longer bad like and this was one of them like this was this was everything it should have been um and it really did set the tone for the kind of evening we were going to have ahead of us uh quite unlike our next match actually <laughs> so with that in mind we move straight into another first round tournament match with uh jeff jarrett taking on al snow to get us started, Snow nails Jarrett with a some sort of stairs, and they head inside with Snow hitting a leg drop. Jarrett comes back with a stun gun as the crowd chant for head. Snow fights back with a clothesline and a neck breaker before missing with a top rope leg drop, leg drop sorry, allowing Double J to hit a drop kick for two. Snow counters a spine buster into a DDT, which looked great. Deborah steals head and gives it to Jarrett, but Snow gets Jarrett's guitar. Snow misses with the guitar. But then he no-sells so, no a shot from Head. Then he gets hold of Head himself, hits Jarrett with it for the win after about three minutes. Eric, I'll come to you first. Uh, what did you make of our second match of the evening? That your ver uh, verbal description was far more entertaining than the match itself. Um, <laughs> so the ma But, you know, the good thing is if this match was on, a, on another pay-per-view, it would have been 11 minutes long, right? So three and a half minutes, how much harm can you do? Um, and the other thing is with these with these tournament matches, most of them are like you mentioned, weaving in and out of storylines. And Al and Jeff have been beefing on Raw, and they they gave them a place on the pay per view to maybe even blow off blow off the feud or to some degree expand it. So, yeah, these first round matches were compelling because they were well thought out. I mean, super not kayfabe when you have all these uh, you know rivals happening to come together in the first round. Although I think they explained that Vince set these matchups, so maybe not. But anyway, I th this was fine. Harmless three minutes. No big deal. Dan? We have 12 more matches to get through. Let's move on. There you go. I think, I think yeah, yeah. 
probably uh, very on point there. As good as you could expect, really, I think, given three minutes uh, for these two. Actually, saying this, I did see one thing. I was reading, going for the, uh, the dirt sheets today, and um, Mr. Keller did think that with the whole bracket released, the most likely semi-final lineup would be Steve Austin versus Jeff Jarrett. Stunned silence there. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been swerve number three on the night. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. 12 matches to get through. So next up, we have Stone Cold Steve Austin taking on the big boss man. Uh, we're underway and they brawled outside to start with Austin very aggressive early, whipping boss man into the steps and hitting a fez press. But boss man fought back with a blatant low blow that the referee ignores. Boss Bosman stomped Austin before slapping on a chin lock. Austin fought back with a clothesline, but Bosman cut him off and got two after an uppercut. Austin sends him outside, so he grabbed the nightstick and came into the ring, repeatedly hitting Austin with it for the DQ. Post-match, Bosman continued to attack Austin with the nightstick, and Vince was watching along backstage laughing. Uh, he left Austin on the floor, arriving in pain. Dan, your thoughts on our third match of the evening? Again, another big plot point on the overall storyline. And again, it makes sense. You know, Vince sends his hired gun out there to beat the living piss out of his main arch rival. But as he explains in the post-match interview with, with Michael Cole later on, he wants Austin to suffer more. And if it's if he loses in the if he loses in the match, then that's even better. If he gets the semi-final, I've got a backup plan to to ruin him basically so this this just makes sense this made you know really good plot point in the story and it is considering the good form that ray trailer's been on since he's come back into the fed i think he's he just looks like a badass in this new you know advanced big boss man character um and he's a bit he's a bit of a sneaky mention for mvp of the month after if it wasn't for the rocks great month i think he's been you think he's been great since he's come back and it's really showing through in this uh beatdown in this whole match Eric, your thoughts? Yeah, in terms of storyline, there's nobody who thought Bossman could go over Austin, so you might as well put him out there, and then when things start to get a little hairy for Bossman, have him you know, beat up Austin with the nightstick at the DQ. You're not going to beat him, but make it unlikely he's going to advance. Fine, perfectly fine storytelling for where they were going. Yeah, and it, it made sense to have like the clear story of, well, Bossman is like in a spot of bother, so he's just going to beat Austin down and weaken him and... He's got three more matches to try and get through at this stage. Of course, uh, he, he ended up having a buy in the next round. But at this stage, it looked like he had three matches and he was left laying. And uh, backstage after the match, um, Vince spoke to Michael Cole. He told him there was more where that came from for Austin. And Austin was showing walking to the back, really selling his ribs. So they're, they're telling the story that of like how pro-Mankind Vince is. He's determined to get the belt onto Mankind. And not just that, how anti-Austin Vince is. Like, it's really stacking the deck against him here. And it's effective storytelling. Um, enough in happening match, of course. But that's not really the point. Next up, we had uh, X-Pac taking on Steven Regal. Uh, in the early going, X-Pac hit a spinning heel kick and a backdrop suplex for two. He misses a charge in the corner looking for the Bronco Buster and Regal starts to stretch him. X-Pac attempts a sunset flip, but Regal rolls through and slingshots him across the ring. V Regal hits a gut wrench suplex for two. 
X-Pac fights out some more submissions, but misses a Bronco Buster again. Regal hitting a lovely double arm superplex for two. Regal goes back to stretching, but X-Pac fights back once more, hitting a drop kick and following up with the Bronco Buster, which he executes this time. He goes up top but gets crotched, and both men brawl on the outside until we're given a double count out after over eight minutes of action. This means that Austin will have a bye in the next round. Eric, your thoughts on this match? Yeah, ah, the finish was was way messed up. I don't know what happened. I think Xbox maybe thought he was really hurt. Um, so I don't know whether I don't know. It it was fine. Uh, it was weird though because. This is an eight-minute match, and this could have been one of those, you know, two or three actual wrestling matches that could have been on this card to kind of at least, you know, put a morsel in front of guys like you and Dan who like work rate stuff as your as your top priority. But these guys just worked rest holds for like eight minutes, and then it was a double countout. I don't know if Regal's working hurt or whatever, but he doesn't seem as as uh, spry as he did in WCW just like a year ago. Um, so uh, just kind of a disappointing match overall for a show that probably needed a, a good in-ring wrestling match. Dan, your thoughts? Yeah, this was probably one of my biggest bugbears of the entire night, really. Um, one, that they didn't let Stephen Regal go all the way to the finals so we could listen to his awesome theme music more than once tonight. <laughs> two, two, I do think X-Pac got maybe a big stinger when he hit that um, butterfly suplex from the top. It does, he does seem to move from you know usual underdog babyface selling to, ah, shit, this actually really hurt selling. Sure. Um, so I think that's probably because there's confusion, isn't there? Because Finkel and Slaughter come out and announce there's going to be five more minutes overtime. Regal's in the ring, you know, coming, come on, let's get, in, let's get on it. And next Park's just walking away. So it looks really contrived. Next Park looks like a dick. Um, and as you, as you said, this, I, considering that they were planning probably to have an extra five minutes, this probably would have been the work rate match that they said, OK, we need to give, you know, the Cruiserweight wrestling fans something, a little bone to have something. And it just didn't click. Like they ha- they're on the way to a good match, but then after X Park gets hurt or thinks he gets hurt, it just kind of stops. And it just you know X Park battles through to the planned finish, and then just says, "No, I need to get away now because I'm hurt." And I don't know why Tim White didn't go and throw up the X and say, "This guy's actually hurt. We need to abandon this plan quickly because it's not going to affect the whole structure of the tournament." So this was a bit of a disappointment for me. Probably the only one or two big ones of the night. Yeah, I I didn't enjoy this. It's probably my least favorite match so far, and that that's not anything to do with X Pac potentially having some sort of injury or or believing to have some sort of injury. Uh, I don't know. I, I this is going to sound really stupid because like this is kind of what wrestling is, but like Regal would put him in a stretch, X Pac would fight out, hit a move, but then Regal would cut him off and put him back in a stretch, and they yeah. just did that four times. That was it. That was the match, and I was like. I don't know why it really just hit me in the face here, but I think it's because we'd had three, like, just bam, 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 quick matches, in and out, story enhancement, and this just felt, like, a bit pedestrian. Um, I really didn't enjoy it. I think um, I wouldn't necessarily agree that they were on their way to a good match. Maybe I'm being too harsh. I, I don't know. But, um, but yeah, I, I didn't really... Uh, enjoy this much at all but ultimately it had a little bearing on the overall picture of the evening next up in the first round we have ken shamrock the intercontinental champion taking on gold dust 
Shamrock got things going early with Slam, following some knee strikes and taking control with rest holds on the mat. Uh, Goldie came back with a running clothesline and a body slam of his own before hitting a knee drop. Shamrock hit a Russian leg sweep. Goldust then fought back with a brief comeback, but it was cut short when he missed a corner charge. Shamrock fought out of a powerbomb with punches. Goldust came back again with a very sloppy-looking bulldog. Uh, he set up for the Shattered Dreams kick, but the ref wouldn't allow him to hit it. Uh, so Shamrock took advantage with a Hurricane Rana, hitting a belly-to-belly -belly suplex and locked on the ankle submission for the victory at just before the six-minute mark. Um, Dan, I'll come to you first. What did you make of the Shamrock Goldust match? Again, disappointing. Um, I'm concerned for Ken uh, now that he is full-blown heel. I don't think he his it works for him as a heel because his style is so stiff and it's smash mouth and he's got almost no cardio because he hasn't had a more than 10 minute match in the, in the WWF so far, apart from that King of the Ring match. I just, I'm not sure he's got the, the moveset or the nous to pull off, you know, leading a match and having the cardio to get up and go down and up, up and down, up and down that the WWF heel style requires. And th yeah, this match felt like it was sloppy to me. You've mentioned it a couple of times there. The Goldust Bulldog was sloppy. Ken Shamrock's disgusting Hurricane in this match. <laughs> we laugh, but he could have really hurt Goldust there. And if that's because, you know, he doesn't have the cardio, then that's concerning. Um, but uh, it's a six-minute match on the pay-per-view. I, I can't get too much in a, uh, a bad mood about it because it was, a, it was what it was. But yeah, I have concerns going forward. Eric. Yeah, I don't I don't think Shamrock's much of anything. I think he was kind of a one-note guy that never developed another note, uh, and we're seeing that now. And Goldust, you know, what happened to Dustin as this worker or this guy? He, he just seems like he's going through the motions. This match was probably about the exact match that I thought these two would have, be it on Raw, a pay-per-view, uh, Sunday, uh, Sunday Night Heat, you know, put this match on any card and this is the match they have in the length that they have it. Yeah, I think the harshest comment I can make on, on this match and but the performance of both guys, but particularly Goldust, um, is that there was a guy in the front row with Goldust face paint on and he didn't care. So he, <laughs> he was into Goldust, but he wasn't into this match. So I think that sums it all up really quite aptly. Next up, uh, we have what was scheduled to be The Rock versus Triple H. Uh, the Rock came out to a huge ovation, massively crowd, a massive crowd favourite, uh, before Briscoe and Patterson came out in place of Triple H. They announced he was not there and will not be wrestling, but Vince had found a replacement for him, which was announced as the Big Boss Man. So we have The Rock taking on Big Boss Man, who has a second chance in the tournament after his disqualification earlier. Boss Man charges at Rock's up. To get the match underway, Rock immediately cradles him for the free count, and we have a winner after around five seconds. The crowd went absolutely wild for this. Uh, Eric, your thoughts on this match? This match was so short, the bell was still reverberating from starting the match when it rang the end of match. This is a perfect bit of storytelling. Uh, not so different from the Mankind. I mean, this is kind of like the beginning of the second act of this, or the second you know quarter of this pay-per-view, right? They just kind of reset it. Had a comedy segment with Briscoe and Patterson, um, and then a short match that kind of resets the that kind of gets us going for the the second part of this. What's well, ultimately a four part 
um, story arc. So yeah, this was great. Dan. Yeah, I'll echo Eric. This was just a really good feel-good moment. But you poor innocent little fans, this is going to make it seem all the more horrible when you realise what's going to happen to you later on. I mean, yeah, with, with hindsight, this is the finish is just perfect. The match is perfect. It's a great way to round off the, the first round of the tournament because you're, you're right. It's such a feel-good moment. The crowd absolutely love it. They go wild. And it's at the time, like before you know the, the finish of the pay-per-view, the whole night, how it's going to go, you're like, wow, they've got 14 matches in three hours. Like you're going to, you don't put this down to like the, the grand conspiracy of what's happening. You put this down to time restrictions. Like it doesn't enter your mind that, okay, Vince scheduled the, he put the matches together. So he put it together so that, Rock would be facing Triple H, who he knew couldn't be there because he's recovering from knee surgery. Then he's going to replace him with Boss Man, who's going to take a dive. Like you, no one thinks that. You just think like, wow, like they've. If you're being like a smart fan about it, you would just put this down to, well, they've got 14 matches in three hours, so they're going to rush through a couple. That's all you'd attribute this to. But with the benefit of hindsight, it's so much more than that. And it's uh, it's not a positive thing for the fans, but it is a very positive thing for my enjoyment of the show. <laughs> Next up, uh, with the first round done, we move into our first quarter final. And uh, we have The Undertaker taking on his brother Kane after both men received a bye in the first round. Shortly after the start of the match, uh, Kane clotheslined Taker outside and they brawled around uh, Taker sending Kane into the steps. Notes are very vague up until that point, but it's a whole lot of punching and kicking. Taker seems very much in first gear here. Back inside, Taker is control with some more punches and then he locks on a leg submission to keep Kane grounded. He does some choking in the corner. Kane eventually fights back with a, cho uh, a clothesline. Sorry, uh, he overpowers Taker to hit a choke slam. Bearer then jumps on the apron, distracting Kane, which worked very well because Taker immediately took advantage to hit a tombstone pile driver, which was enough for the win after around seven minutes. Dan, I'll come to you first. What did you make of our first quarterfinal? Because it's a Simpsons quote for every occasion. Stop! Stop! This is already dead. Let this feud die. It has been going on for year a whole year we've had five matches and they've got progressively worse this is was the same match they had that got boring boring chance at last month's pay-per-view just 10 minutes cut off and it's the same crap that we've had for the last four months please let this few die especially because they've actually tried to make kane a bit more heated up recently because they've had him come out with his night of destruction on the first war of the month They've actually tried to make him set people on fire last week. And now he's losing to Undertaker after just one quick tombstone after seven minutes. I realise that we have to get through matches quickly. But please, you could have done something, anything other than this, just to make Kane in particular, but also the Undertaker, who really did not look like he cared at all tonight, seem like the big monsters that they are meant to be. This was my biggest bugbear of the entire show. This was an absolute joke. Get these two away from each other and never put them in the ring again for at least four years. Eric, what did you make of our brother v. brother match? This was a long seven minutes, wasn't it? Um, okay. 
Uh, I, 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 the thing that Welling said that I agree with the most is they've been building Kane back up to be this unstoppable lunatic, and then the Undertaker just beats him in seven minutes. And I guess they try to explain it away with the uh, Rick Rude, uh, Bobby Heenan finish where Bear holds the leg down, so Kane can't kick out. But even then, does anybody believe that Kane's going to go down after one tombstone with Bear just, you know? holding his leg i don't think so so this was still made kane look super weak i don't know why they spent all that time building him just to have him you know sell clean in the first round in seven minutes yeah bad match in storyline bad match in execution uh yeah i agree with dan keep these guys away from each other yeah i I mean this was a complete dud Uh, i'd say it's the worst match i've seen between the two in the last year and uh yeah, I mean, we've seen Kane no-sell so many tombstones. We've seen Kane no-sell so many moves. Uh, a cheap distraction on the apron and one tombstone. Uh, I'd attribute it more to the time pressure of of the show than anything to do with Kane's stock, but it's not particularly positive if you're a massive Kane fan. Um, you'd like to be seeing a bit more from him than this, really. There's a way to book this match and keep it seven minutes. And it sounds strange, but you could like you could beat Kane a lot more and make him look stronger. Like you could have had the match start and it would have been better as well. You could have had the match start, like uh, Bear gets on the apron, Kane do some sort of schmoz where the ref gets bumped and then Taker just grabs a chair and just beats the shit out of him. Like lays into him like for four minutes, just beats him down, beats him down, tombstone, chokeslam, chair shot over and over and over again, rests down and then eventually the ref's back up and then he beats him. But he's cheated. Like you, you beat Kane in seven minutes, but it's like really comprehensive. But I think Kane comes out of it better than just having a terrible match where he's just like quite easily beated with a short distraction. I, I, I don't know. know. It would work as well for Undertaker's do character as well because he's now it's the first time he's been uber heel for seven years. Exactly. That would make more, way more sense. This was like the biggest uh, misstep they had in terms of booking i think this evening like because i feel like you could have told this story so much better and had the exact same outcome with the exact same storyline progression only better um and you'd have done more for taker like yeah this was the biggest misfire of the evening for me um but it still pales into comparison to the positive uh outlook well not for the fans, but in terms of uh, enjoyment and how how well they did the positive booking that that took place on this show, but this was a real real negative for me. Next up, we have Mankind taking on Al Snow. Uh, Mankind, for the record, still wearing his suit. Snow starts very aggressively, hitting a drop kick, sending Mankind outside. Mankind grabs a chair, but Snow got it and hit him in the ribs twice. With the ref looking, nothing happened. Match continued. Back outside, Mick catches Snow coming off the rail, dropping him on the chair on the floor. Back in, Snow hits an enziguri, tries to use head, but misses. Mick reclaims Socko from head. Snow hits a spinebuster for two. Mankind hits a double-arm DDT before putting Socko on and applying the mandible claw with him for the win after just four minutes. Uh, Eric, what did you make of this match? Oh, this was a fun match. This was just what they needed after the Undertaker Kane debacle. Um, you know, Mankind and Al are obviously 
good friends and uh, probably road buddies in real life. So yeah, this is fine. Uh, just what, just kind of what the doctor ordered a nice four minute remedy from the slog that we'd just been put through, you know, Mick gets through, Al gets a spot just fine. Dan. Uh, yeah. What Eric said, this was fine. Just enough, just a match that we had to get through to advance the whole show. Really just good to have Al Snow as a little sneaker quarter finalists. But nothing again. This is a raw match. This is a raw match on the pay per view. This is a match you could have. I, I mean, it depends how much they see in Al Snow, but you could have given this a bit more time um, and probably had something decent. Shave off a few of those eight minutes from the Regal match, or just in, or shave off seven minutes from the seven minute Undertaker match. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, you could have probably got more out of this, but for for the four minutes, it was fine, inoffensive, um, yeah, harmless. It really feels like we're rushing through these matches, but like this, it's, this is so such a strange remark, but. The matches are so frivolous on this show. Like they, they're, they're like we've got a tournament to crown the new WWF champion, but the matches are almost completely inconsequential because of the end of the night. Like it's all about the narrative rather than the in-ring action. Like there's, there's, there's so little to actually talk about in terms of breaking the moves down, and the, it's all storyline, which I, we can't really get into till we get to the end. So yeah, don't worry, we're saving ourselves for what happens at the end. Don't worry. Cool. Into our final quarterfinal match, and we have Shamrock taking on The Rock. They slug it out to start with Ken hitting a suplex for a two. They brawl outside with Shamrock whipping Rock into the steps. Back in the ring, Shamrock hits a Russian leg sweep, a running knee lift, and goes for to a chin lock. Bossman comes down to ringside, much to the annoyance of the crowd at this stage. Rock fights back to his feet, but Shamrock hits a Rana and goes for the ankle lock. The Rock managed to fight free, get to the ropes. Both men hit clotheslines together and we get a double down. Rock hits a DDT. He looks for the Rock bottom, but Shamrock counters with a belly to belly. Bossman gets on the apron and throws the nightstick in the ring, but the Rock intercepts the throw, which was intended for Shamrock, or so we think, and uh, uh, hits Shamrock with it, which was enough for the win. Dan, what did you make of our final quarterfinal? This is why the box the top guy because if he didn't catch that nightstick like as well as he did, this could have looked quite hokey. But you know, rely on the rock to to get your finish through. That was a great catch. Uh, see, unlike K- Kane and Undertaker, these two have been basically feuding all year as well. And the difference is, I'm not bored watching these two. I could watch these guys go every single time, and I'm pretty much entertained all the time. Um, even if Ken, I don't think works as well as a heel. This, this match was still probably the best of the quarterfinals and arguably the probably the best match of the night so far um, in terms of just pure, you know, watching a match. And as I, again, as you've mentioned there, Chris, this at the minute feels like an ultimate, you know, middle finger to the boss man at the minute for the crowd and for the uneducated watching this show. But when you actually again think about it and think of, oh, did he really, you know, intercept that on purpose or was that the whole grand plan? And it's another big plot point on the whole narrative that we are experiencing so far. Eric. At this stage, I was very much concerned for boss man's quarterly review. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I'm sick of these guys going at it too. But again, it was it's it's still, you know, if you want to have a, a guaranteed, if you're going to have matches that are inconsequential and you're probably going to spend more time laying out the story arcs and the backstage segments, you might as well fill a card up with guys that have been working together for the better part of a year, so you don't have to focus as much on you don't have to worry about as much on the matches themselves. So Undertaker, Kane, they can at least wrestle the match. Shamrock, Rock. Um, you know, those are the two two of the big feuds over the last year. Mankind and Austin too had a big had a big run. So, I think what you see here is almost like a 1998 greatest hits for the World Wrestling Federation that is there simply to complement um, and guarantee some level of in ring ability uh, for these undercard matches that are truly inconsequential. Yeah, this was a really good match, and I, I do like what you say, Eric, in that you're highlighting sort of like you said the greatest hits of the year in a way, like in terms of feud. Like it, it is so intelligently put together. This card, it's 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 genuinely a marvel of like because of how often the Fed can get things wrong. <laughs> like just minor <laughs> details that undercut stories or they overbook something, but like every detail here is like so good. Like having these two face off and having take, even though it was a bad match, the, the undertaker and Kane, you, you, you get Austin and uh, mankind. And like they're all, it's the culmination on one night because at the end of this night, everything changes. So, you have it's like one last time for old time's sake and you have these matches with these character dynamics but then by the time we get to raw tomorrow everything everything's changed and the landscape probably won't get back to how it's been for the last year or so ever again like that that this is this is like quite a monumental moment within the wwf sort of timeline really like there's no way you could you'd have to undo too much work that was done on this night to ever change these character dynamics in such a drastic way. Um, yeah. The, in terms of the match, yeah, these two do have really good chemistry and um, the story, the story is again, brilliant with a uh, boss man in, inadvertently helping the rock to win or inadvertent. Yeah. We'll see. Next up after our quarterfinals have finished, we're going to take a break from the tournament and we have the WWF women's championship match with Jacqueline defending against Sable. Uh, just for the record here, we have Shane McMahon as our referee, just to highlight quite how demoted he has been. Jackie attacked from behind to get us going, but Sable hits a stiff kick to knock her down. Sable hits a TKO, which only gets two because Miro pulls her out of the ring. Sable kicks Miro low and gives, her, gives him a Sable bomb on the floor. Jackie takes advantage, uh, but Sable blocks a Tornado DDT attempt and hits a Sable bomb to win the match and the title just before the three-minute mark. Uh, Dan, what were your thoughts on this match and uh, our new women's champion? It was a match again. It was, it, this, <laughs> was, this, this was a, a nice toilet break match, really, for the shenanigans that we've just gone through with the whole quarterfinals in the last 16 so you know it, it's this served its purpose as a as a bit of a chill out moment and just just check, calm down and gear yourself back up for the semi-finals to come um i'm i'm, I'm happy that uh, thankfully this feud seems to be finally gone as well another eric again another example of two people that have just been feuding for the entire year and hopefully now have been put a line under the sand of this thing and now sable who is clearly the biggest star in 
the women's wrestling in the world at the minute has got the belt. So she's not a good wrestler, but she's a star. Have the belt on her. It makes sense. And, I don't, you know, Chris, you're talking about that. And it's just like, yeah, draw attention to the fact that Shane McMahon is, is a referee and he's in the building. There's another great narrative plot point, as you said it then. And it's just, it's again, just like you go through the show and you're just like, you're, you're thinking of all these points. It's like, oh, yeah, this happened. And oh, yeah, this is just so much continuity to this show. And like, how much do we rag on wrestling just for having no logic and no continuity? And it's just so many little minor details that make this show so, so much of a mastery and a textbook example of what you can do when you put your mind to it with booking a show. Eric, your thoughts? The match was what it was. I think the only reason this match was here was to serve the purpose that Dan brought up, which is to show for the purposes of storyline and for the rest of the night that Shane McMahon is this lowly bottom-feeding referee. Oh, look what he's been reduced to. He has to referee this shit match. Um, you know, Vince has really got his thumb on, on Shane. And then, you know, what happens, you know, 15 minutes from now, puts the context of the reason this match was here in the larger picture of the show, uh, it makes it very clear. So I like that they put this match here when they did just for the purpose of getting out, getting Shane out there long enough to remind everybody what he was before he wasn't that anymore. And it's, it's so perfect as well, because like you say, our next match is Austin versus mankind where we'll have that first turn of the night with, with Shane. And, Having this match now, I, I mean, I don't know how, if you're a fan live in the building, I don't know how much you'd pay any attention to what I'm about to say. But like this establishes that Shane is like a credible referee just doing his job. He's just out there refing a match like n nothing. There's not there's no spectacle to it. It's not hyped up in any way. It's not like all special guest referee. Show. No, he's just a ref. He's just out there. They barely allude to it like um he's just the ref and then in the next match he runs out and you don't necessarily immediately think oh it's shane like that they're, they're establishing him as a referee rather than shane mcmahon which makes the turn so much better so this this is a nothing match but it has major implications for how impactful what they pull off later in the night with that, we go back to the Deadly Game tournament. We have our first semi-final with Stone Cold Steve Austin selling his injuries from earlier, at the uh, from the earlier attack at the hands of the Big Boss Man, uh, and he's taking on Mankind. Austin pounds away at Mankind to start, tearing off his suit jacket and even taking off his shoes. Vince McMahon is wheeled out by Briscoe Patterson and Slaughter to take a closer look over this one. Austin looks for the stunner early, but Foley escapes and bails. Austin follows and they brawl down the aisle uh, with Mankind hitting a back body drop on the floor. Back in the ring, Mankind takes over with a chin lock before we get double clothesline spot and both men are down. Austin hits a clothesline out of the corner, but Mankind sends Austin into the ring post. Mankind gets hold of a chair, but Austin kicked it into his face. Mankind hits a DDT on said chair for two, which was a really excellent near fall. Austin fights back and is able to reverse a pile driver attempt into the stunner, but Vince prevents the free by jumping out of his wheelchair to distract the ref. Vince attacks the referee with JR freaking out about how he clearly wasn't hurt. Mankind looks for the claw, but Austin counters and hits another stunner. At this point, Shane McMahon runs 
in to count the pin. We get the one, two, but nope. Shane stops his count to a very shocked Austin and proceeds to flip him off. Briscoe and Slaughter attack Austin from behind with a chair and Mankind makes the cover. And this time Shane does count the three and we have Mankind in the final of the tournament. And Shane McMahon has turned on Stone Cold Steve Austin. Eric, what did you make of this match? On a, on a night of greatest hits, this was a, a a greatest hits match. I think these guys just took the best parts of their mid-year matches and put them into a 10-minute thing. Super, you know, just a brawl. And probably this or the main event was probably the best match of the night. Um, but again, none of it really mattered except for the finish, which was kind of weak, I thought. Uh, Austin going down to, was it Briscoe or Patterson? But one of the Stooges throwing a chair. Uh, not very strong. And then Austin taking the three whatever storyline match um that got mankind through and gave the illusion that he was still being uh being helped by the corporation so the match was good the match was really entertaining um these guys can always i think put on a a good brawl finish was fine it did it told the story but i would have liked to see austin you know taken out with a little bit more force than a gerald briscoe or pat patterson chair shot Dan, what did you make of this match and the Shane McMahon turn? I I really enjoyed it. Um, just in the match itself, as you, as Eric said, it was the greatest hits of the over the edge match, and with with mankind. I love how you say he bails, and actually, what he does is he rolls out the ring and sprints up the entire <laughs> entrance way. Like it's just little things like that to make Mick Foley so bloody good. Um, like it, it, it was a. A good match in terms of to take out the finish and take out the the turn. Um, but I, again, the boss man's been coming out for so often. I would have thought that he would have come in to ring after he, you know, after referees distracted and then beat the piss out of Austin. That would be the finish rather than Briscoe doing the world's weakest chair shot to put down a top star. Um, that was, again, the only down point in this match. I mean, the turn's just bloody great, isn't it? I mean, the, it's not just the fact that he comes out and he could have hit Austin in the head with a chair, or he could have, you know, um, you know, kicked him when he was covering him. But the fact that he actually—it's the whole bait and switch idea of the crowd. You know, they—they they don't necessarily think that Shane twitted it Shane until he gets in the ring. But the fact that he actually starts counting in a proper way that a referee would do it, and then he stops midway through, and half the crowds actually pop because they just assume that it's a one-two-three, and then you realize, oh shit. You bastard. <laughs> like he's actually, you know, flipping the bird off of our hero. And it's perfect. The whole bait and switch of this this turn was paced so well. That's the best thing I could say. It's paced brilliantly in terms of getting the crowd at their elated best when they think he's going to win. And they're heartbroken when they realize that actually Shane's been in it all along. So, yeah, it, this was a really, really well executed turn for Shane. Yeah, this was an excellent brawl, probably my favourite match of the night. Um, the reaction to Shane's turn was just superb. But, I mean, from the crowd, like, as, as you say, like, half, half of them pop because they, they think there's a free because Mankind hasn't moved. And and half the crowd do, they count the free that, that, and people 
don't know what's going on. And then Austin's facial expressions are just incredible when he realizes what's happened. Because like, you, you have a five seconds or so of confusion, and he's like gestures as if like he hasn't he hasn't kicked out. Why have you stopped? And then Shane flips him off, and you just Austin's face is just like it's it's perfect. It's perfect. You couldn't have pulled it off better. Uh, it so well booked and uh, well executed by everyone involved. Um, at this stage, it's the, the setup is completely Vince and his cronies. They're going to do anything they can to have Mankind win this tournament. That's how you feel. They've screwed Austin, but they've got Mankind into the finals. They gave him the uh, jobber in the first round, and they've, they've got him in the finals, and w w this is, is setting up for the... The babyface Rock, oh, he's got to get through his semi-final, but the babyface Rock taking on the the, the corporate mankind and w with all the uh, backing, it, it's just it's it's brilliant. And like the turn of Shane screws Austin, but it makes you even more invested in seeing their plan fail. You you this turn against Austin makes you root for the Rock more which then makes the end better. Like, it's so good. Um, I really can't overstate how impressive this is. After the match, we see Vince and his friends leave in a limo, and Austin runs after them backstage. He gets in a truck, and he drives out the arena following them. With that, we move into our second semi-final match, which is between The Undertaker and The Rock. The Undertaker was very aggressive early with punches and forearm shots. Uh, they fought outside briefly, but returned to the ring with The Undertaker still in control. Rock fights back with a boot to the face and a clothesline, but Taker hits an elbow and some more punches. This is really, like, basic Undertaker. Uh, the Rock hits his, a, a Samoan drop as Bossman joins us at ringside. Rock hits a DDT and a body slam. Rock goes for the people's elbow, but Bossman grabs his foot. Undertaker comes back with a clothesline and an elbow drop. Taker then punches Boss Man and goes for a chokeslam on Rock. Kane runs in and Taker shoves the Rock into him. So Kane hits the Rock with a very sloppy chokeslam, meaning that the Rock advances to the final via disqualification. Taker punches the ref and brawls with Kane through the crowd to end the segment. Dan, what did you make of this? Uh, not not great to be honest. Um, I don't know what's going on with Undertaker tonight or in the last last two months, but he's just not been on it at all, really, has he? I don't know if he's hurt. I don't know if he's like just wanting to get this new heel character and then you know go full in on this. But he's just it's just again you've seen he's slow sleepwalking for the last two big matches and then against Kane and The Rock. It's not like he's facing Al Snow, so. Yeah, I was disappointed by Undertaker. I was disappointed by the fact that we had more illogical, they're brawling in the crowd, they're brawling outside, you know, the referee's not doubling a double count-up. We've had a double count-up finished earlier in the night. Uh, and yeah, I was, like, live watching this, this felt quite exhausting because we just had that big giant turn with Shane McMahon and you're like, oh God, I've got another match yet and it's Undertaker on the rock. And it's, it is, this is where I kind of think the problems of this one man, uh, one show tournament started to hit me a little bit where I really wanted to get into this match, but I was just so burned out by all that's been going on so far on the show. Um, and it didn't help that Undertaker, again, was in first gear for the whole match. Um, and the only other, like, the only thing that's missing in this narrative is that 
if we're all thinking that again, the Vint McMahon and, and his cronies wanted to get Rock into the final, how are they going to do this? I guess they have Bossman out there to to guarantee that he would beat up the Rock and get a DQ finish. Thinking about it, but you know they couldn't have guaranteed Kane coming out and choke slamming the Rock. But you know, uh, stop overthinking it. It was a good. It was a. It was a <laughs> decent match. But could have been a lot better, and I hope you get a lot better with these two guys down the line. Eric, Dan, I have it in my notes right here that this was about where crowd fatigue set in. So you and I were spot on on that. Yeah. Um, has um, the Undertaker works more as a zombie now than he did when his character was a zombie when it first when he first came in, <laughs> and like. I, if his interpretation of what heels do is brawl into the crowd for long stretches, then he's doing a great job. But his matches have been not entertaining for a while. I mean, he had an entertaining match with Foley at King of the Ring, but that had very little to do with The Undertaker. Um, his match with Austin was disappointing. His matches with Kane have been universally disappointing, uh, in my opinion. I, if, I don't know what happened to this guy's work ethic or his work style maybe he is hurt more hurt than he's letting on um but you know fortunately on this on this night the undertaker's deficiencies can be masked in storyline which they were here this was another kind of jumbled convoluted finish that served a purpose but we are going to get more undertaker kane so you know this show didn't yield all positive results Uh yeah it was so slow paced i don't i don't know if they were tired but then i thought well the Rock really hasn't, like, I don't know. It didn't, uh, Taker had the seven-minute match and Rock, what, the uh, the one with Boss Man, that he should be fine. Like, I, I don't know. It just felt, if this felt like they'd both had, like, two 15-minute matches before it and, like, were just, like, on their last legs. But that wasn't the reality of the evening. It was just a load of punching and kicking from Taker, which isn't very exciting to watch. Um, yeah, I, I, I did have the same note as you, Dan, like, well, what was the plan here to get the rock into the final, like the secret plan? Because like, you can't rely on Kane running out, but I, I think you probably answered it in that they had boss man out there. So in the eventuality, like it, like that Kane hadn't been there, I assume Bossman would have just attacked the rock at some stage. Like I guess that would have been the plan. And in not doing that, it does make it it masks it some more because you Bossman's already attacked Austin to get Austin through around earlier in the night. I don't I think maybe they just wanted to avoid repeating that because at a certain point it's all well and good attacking someone to get them through to the next like round but hurt. But the logic behind that, like when you're at the semi-final stage, would, I don't know. Would you would you really want to? You'd probably tr- rather try and make them lose. So I don't know. It felt more real than, but it felt overcomplicated, but probably more realistic. If that makes sense uh, for me, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we move on to another non-tournament match and we have our WWF tag team champions at uh, new age outlaws defending their titles in triple threat match against Dilo Brown and Mark Henry and the headbangers. So we have three guys in the ring at one time and three on the apron. Uh, Mosh started with a running splash on Brown in the corner and a springboard crossbody for two as road dog made the save. Dilo then hit a running power bomb on 
Road Dog, and he gets beat on for a long old while. Mosh hits a low blow on him while Dilo holds him, and this period of the match really, really drags with the two teams just working over Roadie. Eventually, he gets the hot hand. I say that fairly lightly. The hot tag to Billy Gunn, who swiftly gets powerbombed by Dilo. Famously gets two, and we have quite an ugly-looking uh, mess of a series of big moves and saves. This looks particularly awkward because there's so many times where it's just a big mess. Like there's six men, and they're just going at each other. One and it, so many times where people are out of position that the referee seems to have to stop counting just so someone can make the save. And the last few moves in this sequence, I think, were uh, Billy hit a fame after Mosh. Then Mosh hit a splash. Sorry, Mark Henry hit a splash on Mosh before Billy then hit a pile driver on Mosh, which was enough to retain the titles after 10 minutes of just chaos. The, my notes were all over the place for this one because it was just like move, move, save, move. So, but it wasn't good. It was sloppy. So, Dan, I'll come to you first. What did you make of our tag title match? I think the word you used there, and I think I would use it, is a mess. This is just a mess of a match. Not in just even from the start of it, having three guys in the ring to com to combat the whole outlaw law, as uh, JR put it, made it nonsensical because people are, are doing moves and going for a cover, and the guy just walks over and breaks up the pins. Like, why would you do that? Why, does, how does this make sense from a psychology putting a match together perspective? Uh, and then, and two is that Road Dog is now Deadwood in this is in a in a wrestling match i mean he just does offer he offers nothing other than actually getting beaten up at least like ricky morton when he got beaten up in the rock and roll express at least he did something road dog literally just is a punching bag you might as well just put a punching bag into the ring and have billy gunn be the sole tag team of the new age outlaws and have road dog be the manager because that's what all he offers to the actual match itself and then the finish itself is, is Probably the worst I've seen on pay-per-view this year in terms of the coordination of it is atrocious. You have Dealer Brown hitting the sky high, which is a really nice move. And Tim White's just there going, waiting a good five seconds before he starts counting. You have Mark Henry just coming in, doing a big giant splash on, on Mosh, I think. And then again, White's just going, oh, are his shoulders down? I think they are. Six seconds later, starts counting. It's, it's awful. It takes you right out of the match. Again, the narrative of this show is absolutely spectacular. But matches like this, which went a good 10 minutes, really do start to drag on me a little bit at this point. And I was just starting to get... A, my patience was wearing thin at this point because this was an absolute mess of a match. Eric, what did you make of the tag title match? Not only is this a match that could be on Raw, this was a match that was carbon copied from Raw just the week prior, uh, with the Outlaws winning there too. The tournament show, I, I, the tournament show concept, I think necessarily means matches like this get inserted, especially when your undercard title holders are in the tournament. So the European title, or the Intercontinental title, or you know whatever whatever belt you want to put up, you know could have an undercard slot if they're not in the tournament. But they were here, and so what are you going to do? Put in a tag title match. Tag division in WWF is not great at all. And you just have the Outlaws go over to keep the water steady and give the Rock a blow, I guess. So I think this match was here because of the tournament concept and the, the still relatively 
thin roster the WWF has to fill out a pay-per-view. So, yeah, unfortunately, this match kind of needed to be here, and it definitely is a black mark on this card. Yeah, definitely. It didn't... it did need to be here. It served its purpose in that break for The Rock, I guess. Um, aside from that, I mean, the, the the match between Sable and Jacqueline had the establishing of Shane McMahon as everyday ref, which paid off. This had no such sort of... Uh, there was no payoff from this match that, that fit into the, the wider circle and wider story of the of the show. Um, this was purely a time filler Um to have a place on the card that i say give these guys a chance to have a match but i mean like you said it was on raw the week before um a really boring messy tag match um which was at times actively bad and I, i wish it had been at least five minutes shorter um but i suppose you needed you needed that break before the main event to give the rock a little time to to uh, prepare himself for what was to come. So we move on to our main event of the evening, and we have Mankind and The Rock facing each other in the final of our Deadly Game tournament in what is both men's fourth match of the night. One of them will be leaving with their first ever WWF title. We are underway. We have a slow feeling out process to open. They fought on the floor where Rock hits a suplex. He goes after Vince, who has joined us at ringside. Rock dropped, uh, Rock backdrops Foley <laughs> into the crowd where they brawl. Mankind hits a chair shot, which apparently isn't a disqualification anymore, except for when it is, and I don't even know why I care. Mankind picked up the stairs, so Rock hits the stairs with a chair before Rock smashes him with a chair shot to the head, which earns a two count back inside. They brawl in the corner and Mankind hits a low blow. Uh, the referee, El Hebner, was clearly watching. Um, just to note there, the referee, El Hebner, was clearly watching. Uh, but JR told us that he was likely told to give no disqualifications or countouts as it's the tournament final. It would have been nice if we had been told that too. Mankind hits an elbow off the apron to the floor before hitting a leg drop on the announce table that doesn't break. This was enough for a two count back in the ring. The Rock fights back and hits a DDT. Mankind throws Rock over the top to the floor again and with the Rock perched against the announce table, Mankind goes to the middle rope and goes for an elbow drop off the middle rope to the outside. The Rock moves and Mankind sends himself crashing through the Spanish announce table. Back in the ring, the Rock hits the people's elbow for a two count. Mankind hits a double arm DDT and applies the mandible claw with Mr. Socko. Fans rally behind Rock, who breaks free to hit a rock bottom for two. The Rock got up, uh, then he did the people's eyebrow at Vince and applied a sharpshooter. Vince immediately ran to the timekeeper, told him to ring the bell, even though Van Kind had never given up. He obliged, and The Rock is the new WWF champion after 17 minutes of main event action. Shane McMahon comes into the ring and raises Rock's hand. Vince, Shane, and The Rock all hug together in the ring. Um, before we get into what follows after the match itself, uh, Eric, I'll come to you first. What did you make of our main event and and that finish? Man, for two guys that were visibly gassed walking down the aisle to the match, these two put on about as good of a match as I think they probably could have. Um, and the crowd was into it. They got the crowd back after that last match. Maybe. Maybe they did it right. Maybe they put on a match that was so atrocious that this match looked great 
uh, in hindsight or in comparison. And, <laughs> and yeah, these two work well together. And is there anybody in wrestling that puts themselves through tables better than Mick Foley? Like this, this match did not need the carnage and the violence that they put into it, but it certainly didn't take away from it. That's for sure. And then the fin, like, I've seen some grumblings and people are like, oh God, they did the Survivor Series 97 finish. They brought that back. Like just as it's starting to simmer down, they reignite that fire. And it's like, yeah, of course, Vince McMahon, the dick heel character would do something like that because he hates the fans and he hates all of you and he hates mankind and he hates Steve Austin. Like he would do that. And so I think it was, I think it was brilliant. I don't, wouldn't want them to see it. I don't want them to do it again for a long time, but this was a good opportunity to bring it back and, and for Vince to reestablish himself as that, that dirty heel that will manipulate the end of matches as a last resort. Dan, what did you make of our main event and the finish? It was, yeah, just an, a really stand, like a standard Mick Foley brawling main event, which was, about as good as again as Eric said, about as good as you could get with two guys who had already gone out there and wrestled for about twenty to fifty minutes in between between themselves already. Uh, and you know, I know you didn't have to do it, but at the end of the day, these the crowd and the guys who are watching it live on pay per view had sat through not a lot of special in ring action. So I guess they wanted to go out there and actually put on a really good main event and and again, these are guys who you know, particularly the rock is is new to the main event scene. He would want to go out there and put the best match out that he can in within the confines of the story. And Mick Foley's Mick Foley. He'll throw himself off a 15-foot-high cage to satisfy the fans. He'll do this is normal standard stuff for him. Uh, I, I honestly don't have a problem with the finish, particularly for what this whole narrative has been for the entire show. It makes sense to do a Survivor Series. Um, it makes sense for Vince to be the guy to do it. It makes sense that he would have whispered into the rock's ear before the match or the show. What if we did this to to show our alliance, and it would completely make sense for him to do it? It works for me. I don't have any problem with it. So yeah, it, 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 as a match itself, it was good. But again, we're not thinking about the match really. We're thinking about what happened um, in the immediate aftermath, aren't we? We are indeed. So after the match, we are treated to a victory speech from The Rock, Vince and Shane. Vince says that the people screwed the people and the fans are all gullible like mankind is gullible. He promised to elaborate more on Raw tomorrow. So there's your plug to tune in. He said he was proud that Stone Cold Steve Austin had been screwed in this very ring tonight. And he congratulated The Rock. Mankind shocked, devastated. He asked his dad what was going on and he said he didn't understand the rock attacks him from behind (laughs) with the belt hitting a rock bottom vince puts the title around the rock's waist and shane mcmahon introduces him as the corporate champion austin is shown backstage in the arena and the crowd goes wild as austin runs to the ring vince and shane leave and run for their lives as austin hits a stunner on the rock austin holds the wwf title looking at it before throwing it at the rock, before picking up Mankind to hit him with a stunner just for good measure to end the show. So, uh, Eric, um, I know we've probably touched on it, but anything more to say about the turn, the whole thing, the corporate champion, that final bit, anything more to say on what was a uh, truly marvellous bit of storytelling? Man, it's disappointing to me because I feel like this post-match segment just kind of dragged on a little too long and felt like they were 
somebody missed a cue or they were trying to fill out the time, but it, for a show that was such a lightning pace between the matches, this last segment didn't really capture the magic of, of how quickly things were moving. Maybe it was just my expectations, but it felt like it took forever to get Austin out there. I don't know if I would have put Austin out there. I think I would have just had the rock, you know, stand tall. Um, and then deal with the consequences tomorrow night on Raw. I don't think there's any problem with the heel going over uh, from time to time. But, I mean, we've seen this throughout time in memoriam with the WWF. You know, you know, the Hulkster in the ring at the end of the night, even if Andre wins at the Survivor Series. And here we get Austin, you know, sending the fans home happy, even if he's not holding the belt. So just in typical WWF fashion, didn't really ruin anything, just not how I would have done it. Dan, uh, anything more to add on the post-match? Oh, Mick Foley is, is genius. Like him going dad, just like that's the <laughs> ultimate heartstring plug, you know. Like I know Austin's a top baby face, but in terms of actually wanting someone to, you know, get their revenge, Mick Foley's just gone into number one seeding with that one word. It's it's you know perfect, perfect promo. And I don't know if you thought it on the fly or who came up with it, but like for a sympathetic character who you want to see overcome the odds and beat the guy who manipulated him and, you know, just basically ruined his special night. You could, even in the match, you see him crying on the verge of crying when he's got the mandible claw locked in. You think, I'm finally going to do it. And then he is ripped away from him. And it's, it's brilliant storytelling just from a race perspective, from a heel perspective. Again, this makes absolute sense. Of course, The Rock is going to be the corporate champion. I mean, look at the guy. You know, Vince looks at him and he just sees millions of dollars. You don't, compared to mankind, you know, the, the goofy guy with a mask and a, who, who has a ridiculously oversuited suit. It makes perfect sense. Of course, The Rock's a corporate champion. Um, he's been a chicken shit hill all year. He hasn't really changed his character in the two months that he's been cheered. So, of course, this makes sense. And this is more, even more effective, arguably, than it would be with Austin. Because A, Austin would be unbelievable in a why are you actually doing this sort of way rather than an effective heel turn. But the fact that the audience have basically anointed The Rock as a, a top card babyface in the last two months. Is, he's their new toy. You know, he, they've, they've loved this for the last two or three months. And to all of a sudden be ripped away from them as well just makes the heel turn even better because it's something that they just did not think about at all. Again, you perfectly timed heel turn and perfectly executed for these two characters. It's just, it's just brilliant. And But I know Eric says this is time memorial, that it's a standard WWF trope, but I think Austin coming out really did not make any sense to me at all, especially the fact that he stuns Mick Foley. Why would you stun Mick Foley? He's the baby face. Why are you doing that? I know he's a, I know he's a rattlesnake who doesn't care, but don't do that if you want to, you know, send the crowd home happy. I actually got pissed off with Dustin for doing that. Um, but look, it's a minor blip on what was a brilliant, brilliant bit of booking that we've already gushed about enough of over the course of the show. Yeah, in my notes, I had the exact same thing as you. I said, like, I wanted to highlight and give a shout to Mick Foley, his performance, his performance in the match with Austin, to follow it with his performance in this match, going through what he did, putting his body through what he does, and then 
his confusion having lost without submitting and when when he says that word dad i mean it, that's a comprehensive babyface turn in the most effective way like what more sympathetic character could you have it, which is such a credit to their storytelling because not only is the rock now this absolutely mega heel but like the guy who like started the night coming out in a suit like desperate to be the corporate champion like desperate for vince mcmahon's approval like who is the nemesis of us like the fans the people like he started the night in that position like like our worst fears coming into this night were like austin being screwed and mankind standing tall with the title wearing a suit at the end of the show like but the the show ends with a new corporate champion and your heart is with mankind like that is second to creating the mega hill in the rock but that is like a marvel like how you managed to pull that off um, and such a credit to their story uh storytelling which was just on another level on this show and uh with that in mind i'd like to come back to you eric for your overall thoughts on this show and if at all possible a score rating out of 10 yeah, not tough for me. I, I think we have to judge a show on what it is and what it intends to be, right? And so uh, this show intended to be uh, a vehicle to get The Rock over as the new number one heel, and then secondary to that, uh, have Mankind become the new secondary babyface, and then have Austin continue his warpath. And there's so many under things going on in the undercard. Um, you know, for a storytelling night, I was going back through it, and really the only other tournament other than king of the ring which only by the end of it um uh by the end of its relevance i think was uh this maybe this year yeah because the matches were so secondary to uh the mankind uh undertaker austin kane stuff so as far as a tournament style night this might be the best show that the wwf has ever done it's so much better than wrestlemania 4 which is the last big tournament show they did and I think they just captured lightning, uh, lightning in a bottle tonight uh, with this show. And storytelling-wise, I don't know how they could have done much better. We pick at the details because that's what we do. But this is a show where you can go back and watch it uh, like a movie and just pick out those details like we said at the beginning. I think this was put off, just pulled off absolutely flawlessly. I think this warrants an 8 out of 10. Dan, your overall thoughts on the show and the score rating out of 10? Right, I've written down four different numbers here, and I have no idea which I'm gonna what I'm gonna pick. Um, <laughs> after at the end of the show, I originally think this is a masterpiece. I'm going to give it a nine, but then I remembered how much of a drag it was to actually sit through for the entire show. And again, as I've said, I'm a work. I do like my work rate, and there's no work rate on this show apart from Mick Foley and Steve Austin. So then I originally was going to go for like a a really low grade but that's not fair because we've already got so much about this show's attention to detail it's storytelling it's moments it's it rewards repeated viewings that you can fast forward through to to see the rock rolling up big boss man and and him catching the nightstick thinking that this was him wanting up the corporate team but actually no this is all the ploy so it, it's really tough this is so, so tough to rate the storytelling on this show is a 10 out of 10 but the work rate is a two. So I'm going to average it out. I'm going to go six. 
It's a really tough one for me because, yeah, if you're looking for excellent wrestling, this isn't the show for you. Technically, a poor in-ring show. If you want drama, you want storytelling, you want twists in your wrestling, then this is the show for you. Huge unexpected payoffs, massive talking points, two massive ba- uh, heel turns, and with Mankind, a massive babyface turn in my eyes, whether that's the general consensus or not. Um, not necessarily a great show as a one like if you were gonna take a non-wrestling fan and you had one show to show them to try and make them a wrestling fan this would be a gamble because they'd either be too bored by the lack of in-ring that the quality in-ring work that they wouldn't come back or they would be so enthralled by the masterful storytelling that they fall in love with wrestling and it's really hard to know what one of the two sides of the coin it would fall on um for me it's, i don't know if i watch this show if i'd bought this pay-per-view and i watched it i'd know what i was doing with my monday night and that would be watching monday night raw i think this is a eight out of ten show just because it's some of the best storytelling i've ever seen in professional wrestling and that is a large sentence but i think this show probably justifies it and both of you have said it but i i'd agree it's like a movie and uh you have those little pieces and you could almost pull together this highlight reel and as you alluded to as well they uh right at the beginning of the show eric they they do with the video package where they piece it all together for you just in case it was too convoluted but if you're a avid viewer of the wwf then this makes perfect sense and everything paid off logically but still with a massive surprise so yeah eight out of ten for me um if you like storytelling and you like drama then then watch this pay-per-view but probably skip a skip the tag match right now i would like to introduce you to someone who certainly is no damn fool Oh no, he's not the people's champion, he never was. He's always been my champion. Ladies and gentlemen, the World Wrestling Federation champion, the corporate champion, ladies and gentlemen, The Rock! You know, Mr. McMahon, all day long, The Rock's phone has been ringing off the hook, and the message has been clear. Why, Rock, why did you sell out? Good question. Well, actually, The Rock never sold out. The Rock just got ahead. Now, will some of you call The Rock a kiss-ass? Well, I'm sure you will, because quite frankly, you are all unintelligent pieces of trailer park trash. Do you smell it? I smell what The Rock is cooking. 
Now, you pieces of trash, you work your candy asses off day after day after day, nine to five for minimum wage. Well, The Rock did what The Rock had to do to get to the top of the world, and that is him standing smack dab in the middle of the corporate ring, your WWF World Champion. Clap for him, JR. Not a chance. Now, sure, you piece of trash, you work hard, you do what you have to do day after day. And quite frankly, you're all no different from a big piece, the biggest piece of trailer park trash in Stone Cold Steve Austin. Well, I'll tell you what, you and Austin, you can have your morality, you can have your honesty, you can have your blood. Please have these people show some respect. This is the new WWF champion. Respect is earned. It's not awarded. It's not an endowment. You can have your blood, your sweat, and your tears. I'll tell you what, all that hard work, 50 cents couldn't buy you a cup of redneck coffee. Now, die, Rocky, die. Rocky sucks. He finally said something the fans agree with. You see, The Rock never, ever forgot that. And he's going to damn sure make sure that you never, ever forget it as well. You see what The Rock plans on doing? Is he plans on raising the people. Oh, I'm sorry. He plans on raising the corporate eyebrow. <laughs> he plans on planting you with the rock bottom. And the rock damn sure plans on laying the smack down on your candy ass with the most electrifying move in sports entertainment today, the corporate elbow. The corporate elbow! I can't wait to see it! Why don't you go up there and join them? Now, The Rock said that he would rather be the people's ass than to ever kiss his. But now, The Rock says he would much rather kiss Mr. McMahon's ass than to ever, and The Rock means ever kiss yours if you smell what The Rock is cooking.
post-Survivor Series episode of Raw opens with Vince, Shane, Sarge, Briscoe, Patterson and the Boss Man introducing the new corporate champion The Rock in an angle we'll talk about more in the main show. Austin interrupted and reminded them he had a legally blinding contract giving him a title shot tonight and our main event is set. The New Age Outlaws and X-Pac defeated the Oddities with the ICP when Shaggy accidentally hit Golga. The Headbangers attacked DX after the match. Mankind was shown arriving at the building and said, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes, Vince, because I'm coming home. Vince told the boss man that he had too much to worry about on without Mankind, so he ordered him to stay close. Shamrock demanded a match with boss man tonight, even offering to put his Intercontinental title on the line. Vale Venus defeated Mark Henry with a roll-up after a distraction from China. Steve Blackman and Goldust defeated the Blue Blazer and Jeff Jarrett. Blackman threatened to remove the Blue Blazer's mask, but Owen Hart made the save. Godfather offered Stephen Regal free hose, which he then accepted. Godfather was surprised at this, because in his own words, England ain't nothing but a place full of fags. Regal then attacked the Godfather. Ken Shamrock and the Big Boss Man ended in a double DQ when both men hit the referee. Vince and Shane came out and convinced Shamrock to join the corporation, with Shamrock shaking Vince's hand. Gangrel and Edge defeated Animal and Droz via countout when Hawk came out and climbed the Titantron, and the elder LOD rushed to help him. Hawk threatened to jump and Paul Ellering came out to calm him down. Droz climbed up and shoved Hawk backwards off the top of the screen, but it looked like he didn't mean to do it. Animal and Ellering ran to the back in a panic. Michael Cole interviewed Sable about winning the WWF Women's title until Shane interrupted. Shane had said that Vince had made Sable, but she insisted she'd made herself. Briscoe, Slaughter and Patterson found Mankind backstage. Patterson insisted Vince loved Mankind, but Foley attacked and laid them all out with a broomstick. And our main event saw Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock for the WWF title end via disqualification after The Undertaker hit Austin with a shovel. We'll break this match down in more detail on the main show. So with that, we move on to discuss the biggest talking points from the post-Survivor Series edition of Raw, namely the fallout of that main event. At the start of the show the following night, Vince, Vince and Shane came to the ring with Slaughter, Briscoe, Patterson and the big boss man. They introduced The Rock and Vince said that he was never the people's champion, but just his champion. Uh, the Rock said that he hadn't sold out, he'd just got ahead and he renamed his move the corporate elbow. We were showing clips of Bossman standing over the Rock, writhing on the floor in the locker room from a few weeks back, and the Rock said that it put on an excellent acting performance. We also saw Rock giving Vince the corporate elbow, as it's now called, and Rock said that Vince had been man enough to do that last week, just to further convince people that they were enemies. Austin came out to interrupt, and Vince reminded him of the clause in his new contract that says that unless provoked, he can't lay a hand on him. Austin showed a replay of Shane's promise that Austin would receive a title shot the day after Survivor Series. Vince objected to this, but Austin revealed he had a legally binding contract and the match is set for tonight. Um, before we get into the match itself and that main event the next night on Raw, uh, Eric, I'll come to you first. What did you make of this opening segment with the establishment of the first real look at this new rock character was him coming out in this sort of championship celebration here, more so than we got at the end of the pay-per-view the night before? 
Yeah, he came out looking like a total dickhead, and it was perfect. I mean, <laughs> he, he's got the that ten thousand dollar shirt, and you know, nice pressed slacks, and sunglasses, and he's got gold jewelry, and he just looks like a South Beach South Beach dickhead, doesn't he? And that's just that's what his heel character should be. You know, he's the Rock. He's he's bred for this. He's you know genetically. Uh, you know, uh, destined to be the World Wrestling Federation champion. He is the corporate guy. And it's just so great. And then he cut a really long promo. And a lot of The Rock's best work has been in short bits or been reactionary to other things going on. But The Rock was given the stick here. And for the most part, held his own and got himself over uh, with the help of Shane Vince and all the other guys. But, you know, The Rock did a good majority of the work getting himself over as the corporate champion. Really strong stuff here. I think they made the right call, and I think The Rock is the right guy to 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 do this. And, you know, the prospect of the matches now that The Rock has as a heel is really interesting because they could, you know, obviously Austin, Mankind, Triple H is coming back. They've got history. Even Undertaker now after that King of the Ring finish, The Rock, or uh, the Survivor Series finish, The Rock is a heel just from a matchup perspective is interesting. And he did a great job with this, with this heel promo. Dan, your thoughts on the, the new rock. Oh, it's, it's the same rock, but kind of just more polished, isn't it? He's, he was a chicken shit. heel. He's arrogant. He's full of himself. He's got the look, you know, is a scream star, but he's just, it's, you know, it's just turned up a little bit notch just so it's now main event level rather than, you know, upper mid card level and it, it just works like like uh, as i've said find me a better money image in wwf with than the rock holding up that belt with his sunglasses and his shirt it's just you know it is he is corporate personified that like he is bred for this stage he is if you designed if vince designed a wrestler to be his guy it would be the rock and that's what makes this work and that's why it's annoying from a fan perspective that we didn't clock this earlier you know that of course he's course he's going to be the heel going into main you know wrestlemania season um yeah it was it was good i love i really enjoyed it and again to you've got vince and the rock here who are also some of the best promos of the year how good are their talking segments going to be in the next few months as well just thinking about long-term tv viewing perspective yeah, this was um, genuinely awesome. Um, and I know, like, it's probably the wrong word, like, he's the heel, but like, it's, and as you say, it doesn't make you kick yourself like we should have seen this coming. He never officially, although he was a babyface, like, there was no babyface turn for The Rock at any stage. Um, so he just became quite naturally the a fan favorite which makes it even more sweeter that they're able to pull the trigger go full steam ahead back to like the arrogant corporate heel and it just feels completely natural because he was never really our guy like any like we thought he was but he wasn't um it was just excellent and it led into as alluded to it well as mentioned in the news um an absolutely enormous uh, rating in the main event of this episode of Raw as Austin took on The Rock for that WWF title. Um, so I'll jump to that match now. Um, I haven't got detailed like 
blow for blow uh, notes on it. What I've put is that the crowd were into uh, an absolutely electric brawl um, as they brawled around ringside. They brawled into the crowd and uh, the finish of the match came uh, when the Rock avoided the stunner. Then he looked for a rock bottom, but Austin elbowed out of it and then did hit a stunner. Uh, the ref is counting, but Shamrock pulls the ref out of the ring to stop him counting the three. And then out of nowhere, the Undertaker enters the ring and he nails Austin with a shovel for the DQ. Um, so the show goes off the air with uh, no finish, which is probably like you don't want to blow off the Austin Rock match the night after the turn. So, like, fair enough. And uh, JR wondering audibly to the, to the audience, is The Undertaker the latest member of Vince's corporation? So, Eric, uh, what did you make of the uh, main event match between Austin and Rock for the title, and what did you make of The Undertaker? Austin and Rock are a couple of guys that have had matches from time to time, and they're always pretty good. This one was was pretty it was electric. You, I think that's the word you used, and I would agree. <laughs> this match was obviously never going to have a clean finish. I'm surprised it went as long as it did. Because it's not above the Fed to guarantee a match, then it just never occur, right? So this match went longer than it than I thought it would. The crowd was worked up into a fever pitch, and if the goal was to make the Undertaker even more detestable, you know they they pulled it off. I don't necessarily need the Undertaker doing the embalming and the the shovel stuff like he was uh, they did on the next week in here. That's not my favorite version of the Undertaker character, but if they're not going to do Austin Rock right away, and it seems like they're not with this pivot, um, then yeah, I could see, you know, peddling Austin off on the undertaker for a couple of months, letting the rock go over, uh, as champion for a little while and then pair them up down the road. So it's fine, but I, I don't know. I would have had anybody here, but the undertaker, cause I think he needs a bit of a, of a reset. Dan, uh, what did you make of the match and, uh, the undertaker's involvement in it? Well, the match was really, really good. Um, but it's one of those instances where if you put that match in a dimly lit gym, it probably would have sucked. But the crowd are so into Austin that they can make, you know, they can polish turds and they just made a, you know, glass crystal turn into even, you know, perfect shining stuff. It's brilliant when you've got an, a character who's this over as Austin is and they want to see him win because they've just had their hearts broken by The Rock. So that was really good. And yeah, it makes sense to, for Austin to be to stay away from the title picture for the time being because you've got, as I said, Mankind, who's been really well positioned as this sympathetic babyface character. Um, and it would it would be a bit of a demotion for him to to be relegated to kind of IC level status just because Austin wants his belt back. Um, and as, as we touched on in the news, it's one of those things where if this was somebody else, a bit bolder, no, actually probably not a bit bolder, a bit older, um, with blonde hair coming around the sides of his face and he wears a big weightlifting belt, he probably would have won the belt back tonight. But because it's WWF, we've got a heel champion running at the top of the things and it worked. And I like the fact that Shamrock was the guy to cost Austin the title because it, and he, he only joined the, the team corporate you know, faction about half an hour previously and it kind of proved his loyalty to the crowd and to Vince that this 
this guy's in it for the long haul. He's going. He's definitely going to be in the corporation for the long term. And this isn't some kind of weird ploy from him to beat back against the boss man. So yeah, we've got a dominant hill faction with Austin now going in a different directions. So yeah, I, I enjoyed it. The only argument I've heard against it is that why are you putting this literally one day after the Survivor Series and you should have stayed to the pay-per-view, i.e. Goldberg and Hogan. But, you know, when you are on the front foot, sometimes you do need to cross the opponent just a that little bit more and just throw this main event out there because they could. And delivering that ridiculously high rating probably was a huge morale booster to the whole locker room and to the, you know, the higher echelon of the company and the real blow to WCW executives knowing that the WWF have got a ridiculously hot pro product and a ridiculously hot feud ready to go whenever they want to turn on the switch. Yeah. I, I think this was so impactful. Um, if you think back to June with the uh, King of the Ring pay-per-view, Kane won the title from Austin. The next night, Austin faces him, and he wins it back the very next night. Like, there's precedent there this year, a couple of months ago. Um, there's precedent that if, if a heel wins the belt, then Austin can save the day the next night. And, like, the longer the match went, the more the crowd were into it. And... It's as a consequence of that. And we've given the, the Fed a lot of credit tonight for their storytelling. I'm not trying to say that the reason Austin won the title from Kane the next night on Raw is because it plays into this. That's like going way overboard. But it does play into this. Like it, it's probably not deliberate, but it still has an impact. And I think it was entirely the right decision to have this match on Raw when they did because you capitalize on the magic of the night before you know people are going to be tuning in having if if you saw the show you'll be tuning in and if you had if you hadn't seen survivor series you'd be tuning in because you'd heard about what had happened and you'd need to see the fallout it was must watch tv so they put the hottest match they possibly could in the main event to capitalize on it and in delivering the non-finish like if well, it looked very much like The Undertaker and Austin are going to be tied up for a couple of months. And uh, I'd like to see Mankind go for the rock off the back of the pay-per-view. Then if you do that for a few months, we're not that far from WrestleMania and you can revisit this match then. And the fact that they went at each other on TV in November with a non-finish means nothing and doesn't take anything away from a potential encounter of that magnitude on a show of that magnitude between the two men. So this was just excellent. And I thought it continued the the trend of how wonderful the booking had been the prior night um, was part of this. The only exception would probably be Taker because like probably both of you, and I think you've both probably alluded to it, like he's just felt a bit of dead weight in the last few months so ha having him sort of inserted into the top level is probably a negative but ultimately if he is going to keep austin busy for a few months but austin's going to be back in the title picture for mania then that's perfect so we'll have to see how that plays out but um well actually we've got quite a lot more on a undertaker to get into um on the next rule, which uh, I think is quite interesting.
our next Raw Open video recap of The Rock, Austin and McMahon feud to date. Vince and his crew came out to start the show. He denied any involvement in Undertaker's attack on Austin last week before introducing the new WWF commissioner, Shawn Michaels. Shawn said that there was a new sheriff in town and announced the main event of X-Pac challenging The Rock for the WWF title. The Headbangers defeated the Oddities in our opening match where ICP turned on Kurgan and Akolga. Steve Blackman defeated the Blue Blazer. He again tried to remove his mask after the match but Owen made the save. Gangrel and Edge defeated Mark Henry and D'Lo after a distraction from China. China then agreed to go on a date with Mark Henry after the match. We saw Austin at the hospital being treated for a concussion which was the start of a horrible storyline. Mark Miro vs Goldust went to a no contest when Jackie hit Goldie low and Terry kicked Miro. Mankind defended his hardcore title against Big Boss Man and Ken Shamrock in a triple threat match, with the two corporation members teaming up on Mankind predictably throughout. Al Snow and Bob Holly ran in with Snow hitting Shamrock with head, which allowed Mankind to pick up the win and retain his title. Christian had a chance to win the WWF light heavyweight title as he faced Dwayne Gill, but Snow and Holly cost him the match. In an angle that ran through the main show, The Undertaker and Paul Bearer kidnapped Steve Austin from the hospital and took him to a mortuary to attempt to embalm him until Kane made the save. We'll break this down in more detail on the main show. Godfather was set to face Tiger Ali Singh, but Regal came out and beat Godfather down with Singh until Val Venus made the save. Bob Holly and Scorpio defeated the New Age Outlaws after Mankind interfered. Shamrock and Bossman attacked after the match. In our main event, The Rock defended his WWF title against X-Pac, retaining the belt after Commissioner Shawn Michaels turned on X-Pac and joined the corporation, before celebrating with the McMahons as the show went off the air. So I'll move on into the next episode of Raw, and uh, we start with Vince coming out and denying any involvement whatsoever in Undertaker's attack on Austin last week. So, uh, uh, the Undertaker is in no way affiliated with himself or the corporation. Then we have the introduction of the new commissioner, as was revealed in our news at the top of the show, Sean Michaels. Sean said there's a new sheriff in town and he announced X-Pac versus The Rock for the title later in the evening. In that match, which was the main event while defending his title, The Rock grabbed a chair. He went to use it, but Michael stole the chair and teased hitting The Rock with it before turning on X-Pac and nailing him. The Rock then hit the corporate elbow for the win to retain his title. After the match, Sean celebrated with McMahon as with the McMahons as part of the corporation. So, Dan, what do you make of Sean Michaels, heel commissioner? Uh, it's certainly an upgrade than the previous commissioner. Let's put it that way. Um, part of me is going, yeah, it's obviously a good move. Sean Michaels, the performer, is clearly a draw. So that's get him on TV in whatever way, shape or form we can. The commissioner spot's open. It's another swerve. We're all expecting him to maybe reunite with DX and you know battle the corporation as now the new faction is. But yeah, just keep him as keep him away from you know the obvious idea is is you know good stuff and you know makes the again makes you want to tune into Raw to see why he has sided with the corporation. Um, but the problem for me is that. This is all well and good when you've got a normal performer, but Shawn Michaels is not a normal performer. 
Um, both from a he is the one of the best in ring wrestlers of the nineties, and if he's injured, can he really be involved in angles which he his perceived role would warrant? You know, if you if you're in a big angle with DX, for example, surely you wouldn't want to have him versus X Park or Triple H in a big match. And would he be able to do that because of his injuries? I'm not quite sure. The second point is that we all know of his extracurricular activities and how much of a pain in the ass he was when he was, you know, fit and firing in 1996 and 1997. Is he going to be a, a bad influence around the locker room and a pain in the ass for the booking team in this new role? That's another question I've got long term. Even in the medium term, I'm not sure you know how healthy his head is, or whether he would be willing to to go along with all these angles. To you know, the schedule of a of a commissioner, an on screen authority figure would would warrant. Um, look, it's always nice to see the on screen performer Shawn Michaels back. I think you know he's he has been a bit of a mess for the company since WrestleMania, in particular, apart from those random two commentary stints he did um, in the summer. So. I hope that his head's in the right space to to get the best out of this angle because it's got a lot of good opportunities. But I do have my questions again, that the man can handle it. Eric, your thoughts on Shawn Michaels' heel commissioner? Love to see Shawn Michaels back. I think him as the heel commissioner points out probably the biggest flaw and the, the, the incurable flaw in having your main heel be the owner of the company in that the main heel being the owner of the company is not going to appoint a babyface commissioner who's just going to turn around and mess with Vince. So they kind of teased it at the beginning when Sean came out and put the rock in a match against X-Pac right away. Like, Oh, this is, there's some dissension here, but I just think if you look at it, there was no way it wouldn't make any sense for heel Vince McMahon who owns and controls Monday night raw now, both behind the scenes and in kayfabe to appoint a face commissioner. And so I think they're kind of stuck with having Shawn Michaels as a heel, because otherwise, if you look at it, it kind of falls apart. Sean's a good heel. He's been a heel before and he was a super dickhead heel before he left in March. So I think he can slide right back into that role just fine. But if he can't go, you know, having a former wrestler who's a heel, who can't you know pay off their storylines they're really going to struggle with that i feel like it's easier if they somehow do make him a baby face and that way he can use other baby faces to get the rub and fight his battles for him that's how i might use Shawn michaels if he's not fit if he is fit or if he might be fit in a few months then yeah get a bunch of heel heat on him and then maybe bring him back at the royal rumble or wrestlemania or SummerSlam or whenever he can come back to finally have a payoff. So if they think they can get him back in the ring at some point, okay, I kind of see where this is going. If not, then I think Dan points out all the right issues with this and that you can't pay off a heel commissioner if they can't get in the ring or if they're like Slaughter and they're just clearly retired. And even Slaughter had matches with Triple H and stuff. So that 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 was even paid off to some degree. So yeah, you can't have you can't have a heel commissioner who can't be paid off unless they get really clever about it. Also on the same episode of Raw, we had an interesting, very interesting, if that's the right word, uh, angle, storyline throughout the night with uh, The Undertaker and Austin. It ran throughout the show. So Austin was at the hospital being treated for a concussion. 
these were all sort of separate segments. So Austin was at the hospital. We saw him there a few times. And later in the show, Undertaker was there with Paul Bearer. And Taker attacked him, smothering with a pillow. And the two men kidnapped Austin. And they took, took him to a mortuary. And uh, Taker carried him into the embalming room with Pear, uh, Paul Bearer seemingly preparing to embalm Stone Cold Steve Austin. Taker warned that the pain was going to be worse than Austin could have ever imagined. But before that, they could do any real damage. Kane made the save, attacking Taker. Austin awoke and he attacked Paul Bearer until the footage cut out. Eric, what the hell did you make of this? Nearly a, a live embalming <laughs> of Darren Cold Steve Austin on Monday Night Raw. Now the, 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 the murder was in the air on Raw this month between this and Draws and Hawk, which we mercifully didn't talk about. And um, gosh, who else? Anybody's dick get chopped off? I'm looking back through my notes. Um, so yeah, this was just, I don't, I don't dig the, the Supernatural Undertaker. They were either going to murder Stone Cold Steve Austin or there was going to be some sort of save. And so mercifully, we got the save. Um, but yeah, this was just, uh, man, if there's if there's anything I'll say, it's that December is typically a pretty dull month in the Fed. And so we're coming up on a, on a, on a really dark uh, part of the calendar year in wrestling. So at least if we have something interesting, even if it's bad interesting like this to carry us through, you know, maybe if it blows off at the, at the Royal Rumble, we don't have to put up with it for too long. But yeah, supernatural embalming Undertaker. Uh, not for me. Dan, what did you make of uh, this angle? Uh, can I just ask, Eric, how, as a legal representative of the courts, you would defend uh, the Undertaker's actions if he, if Kane hadn't have got involved in this um, <laughs> situation? I would probably try to frame him, frame him as an accessory and have him flip on the real uh, perpetrator, Paul Bear, the trained uh, mortician. See, this is why we're, we're hiring you, Eric, to, to bring the voice of reason to these ridiculous, <laughs> insane angles that... This, this is the line we have to tread with The Undertaker. Like, at points, he can be the, the highest of highs, but as we've seen too often this year, like, his supernatural character just makes it just too ridiculous uh, the whole cane and the setting his parents on fire business this it, it's just it just makes you cringe and i don't like watching wrestling that makes me cringe like i would i actually would rather have boring bad because these i can forget it this i can't forget and I, my head's just you just head spinning watching this shit you know and it's just nonsense why would I want to watch this going forward? But at least it gives at least it gives Austin a legitimately good reason to go after him for the next two months because yeah, he tried to kill me. And who knows, we might get another Undertaker Kane match. So I'll there's always fuck that. Off with that shit. <laughs> is Kane a face? Is Kane a face now? Like, is he the? I, I don't even. I don't even understand. I think he is. I just by default. We tried to set three blokes on fire two weeks ago. How is that a face? <laughs> because it's the WWF in 1998. That's how. I don't know, but he. I think he has to be like he saved Austin from certain death. Um. Yeah. So I think Kane's a face, and I think Mankind's a face. So this is what I mean about how significant Survivor Series is within this WWF timeline because so much change on one night, um, within one month that really sets the company up for December and into 20, uh, 
1999. Um, and just so many new dynamics to explore with so many different characters. Um, and of course, the two most important characters, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Vince McMahon, are the two most consistent. They're still there doing what they do, which is the most important thing. And you build all these interesting, um, enthralling characters like The Rock, like a baby-faced mankind. I, I mean, I'm not going to say that Kane and The Undertaker are particularly enthralling, but as like C-level characters, if you put those everyone else above them, then, I mean, it's fine. Like, it's horrible, but it's not my main event stuff, which is well, more than could be said for some of the main event stuff we've seen in WCW the last couple of months. Well, they're still over, too, so we, we may not like them, but there's no doubt that Kane and the Undertaker can can help to fill an arena. So I don't I don't blame yeah. the Fed for keeping those guys on top. I would just prefer to see less of them. Yeah, I agree entirely. We'll just have them do something away from each other. Like We've got no problem with them both. Just just go away from each other and feel with some different people. But I could do with less embalming. We all could do with a less embalming, Chris. The final Raw of the month opened with a recap of the embalming angle from last week. The ICP and the Headbangers were scheduled to face each other, but Austin came out and stunned both teams. He said he didn't want to wait until the pay-per-view to get back at Taker. The New Age Outlaws retained their tag titles against Edge and Gangrel via DQ after Christian interfered with a tag belt. Austin was hunting for Taker backstage, but Taker jumped in from behind and locked him in a cooler. D'Lo Brown agreed to go along with Mark Henry on his date with China. Taker and Bearer tried to call out Kane. He came out and brawled with Taker until men in white outfits ran out to try and take Kane to an insane asylum. Mark Henry and China went on a date with Henry using D'Lo as his driver. X-Pac called out Shawn Michaels for turning on him last week. Shawn Michaels, in retaliation, booked X-Pac to defend his European title against Ken Shamrock. Mark Henry gave China flowers on their date, but she noticed the price sticker that was red $1.99. Owen Hart was on commentary during a match between Goldust and Jeff Jarrett, insisting that he isn't the Blue Blazer. Owen attacked Goldust for the DQ. The Blue Blazer joined Owen in the beatdown, but at mask to reveal himself as Steve Blackman before attacking Owen. Bossman defeated Mankind for his hardcore title in a ladder match after interference for The Rock. Shawn Michaels laid out Mankind with a nice dig after the match. Undertaker and Kane brought backstage until Austin, who had escaped from the cooler, smashed a shovel over his head. Dwayne Gill pinned Mark Miro after the Blue Meanie interfered. X-Pac vs Ken Shamrock ended via DQ after involvement from Shawn Michaels and the returning Triple H. Val Venus defeated Tiger Early Singh via DQ when Terry hit him with a low blow. The Rock defeated Al Snow to retain his WWF title after Rock Bottom. Mankind and Rock brought to the back after the match. And we round off the month with Austin and Kane running into Bearer. They T-stabbing him and burning him, but settled for dragging him outside and dropping him into the sewer. That will do for this month's edition of the WWF Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. I'd like to say thanks firstly to Eric Landstrom for being on the show. Eric, uh, thank you for being on the show. 
Hey, happy to be here. Maybe we'll have a Patreon special about uh, hi highlighting the great uh, embalming and supernatural murder history of The Undertaker <laughs> at some point. Um, Eric, you, you are on Twitter as, or anything else to plug? Ah, uh, yeah, sure. At Modern Day Lawyer, and just uh, check out our Patreon, um, and uh, you know, putting bonus episodes up, and it's good stuff. So if you like what you hear, just uh, head on over to Patreon. Excellent. And uh, Dan, thank you for being on the show. No problem, Chris. Anything to plug yourself? You're on Twitter. Anything? Uh, I, I'll echo Eric. Just uh, we are getting a bit of a backlog now with Patreon exclusive content. So if you like uh, your extra bonus content from our good selves at Less Than 20 Years Ago podcast, check us out for uh, $5 a month to see some exclusive content. And if you want to contribute a little bit less, just do $1 a month to get exclusive early access to certain shows. Excellent. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, before I sign off, I'm going to make it free for free. I'm going to give our patron a little plug too. So as, as Dan said, for as little as a dollar a month, you can support the show, support us, and you get the benefit, like Dan said, of the early access to the podcast where available. And if you're feeling particularly generous or you want to hear more of all of us, um, for which we we for which we would be very grateful then for five dollars a month you earn yourself a bonus show or two every single month uh, always the the main free shows wwf wcw ecw they will always be free uh, as they always have been released at the end of the month but if you'd like early access and bonus content out of timeline reviews uh, modern day stuff so this month in november we uh, uh Myself, Chris Lacey, and Dan, we uh, live watched, spoiler-free, the uh, NXT TakeOver War Games 2 show. So we all experienced it spoiler-free uh, live together. So you can sign up, subscribe to our Patreon, donate to our Patreon, five bucks. You'll get that show plus the back catalogue of bonus shows. And you can watch along with a, an, another excellent pay-per-view, if you can call a TakeOver a pay-per-view. And... Uh, yeah, so you, if you'd like to check that show out, please uh, head over to our Patreon. But for now, um, I'd like to say thank you very much for listening uh, to this month's edition of the WWF Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. I've been your host, uh, Chris White, and you can check me out on Twitter if you'd like to do so, at ChrisWhite14. A massive thank you for listening, and a massive thank you for being on the show, you two. And until next time, goodbye.